Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Splatter Chatter. That's Miss Melmoy. I, yes, that is me. And I am, in fact, Mr. Craigers, and we are your co-hosts. And tonight, we're bringing you episode 20, wait, we Six. literally just said it. <laughs> 26. <Episode> 26. <laughs> we said it not like 40 seconds ago, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> episode 26, which is about all things Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Mel is literally coming to you from the Black Lodge because her apartment is infested with bed bugs. Infested with bed bugs. We're probably like the next episode we're gonna do is gonna have to be like our favorite like insect based horror movie as like a tribute to your trial. <laughs> it just has to be far <laughs> enough away from this situation that I don't get scared when I go to bed. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. So if we'll you hear me nice yell, of fly. <laughs> if you hear me yell and curse and hear the sounds of an aerosol can, it's because I've spotted one. But yes, Twin Peaks, um, this has definitely gone up before, um, well, I'm sorry if you can hear that motorcycle outside, uh, this has definitely gone up before Sunday. James Hurley. It's James Hurley, off to do more stupid things with this giant Riding forehead. away from that stupid season two storyline. <laughs> his giant he, he lives with that cougar. <laughs> James Hurley is an interesting fellow. With some interesting hair. Um mm. But anyway, so Twin Peaks, as all of you know, or should know, uh, is back. you've been living under a rock. Is <laughs> finally back. It's been 25 years to, not quite to the day, because we're about a year, it's 26 years technically, but they started yeah. at 25 years, is the point. Um, uh, since it was prophesied that Laura Palmer would see Dale Cooper again, um, Back this Sunday on Showtime, if you're in Canada, it's on Bravo. If you don't have either of those things, it's online somewhere, I guarantee you. Um, there is, if you, there's been a lot of great resources I've seen going around, like, where to watch and how to watch Twin Peaks anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, and people and are, are distributing putting... and doing resources, and, and it's, re it's readily accessible to anyone yeah. who cares about the show and wants to see the new season. And for those of you that can access Showtime, I'm not sure if you can in Canada, but if you can in the United States, they are actually putting a couple of the first episodes online for streaming as well mm -hmm. as the, um, is it an hour or two? It's two hours, the premiere. Yeah, this, the premiere on Sunday is, it's the first two episodes, so it's going to be two hours. And then they're putting a, the third episode, I believe, up for streaming and then right I after think that. The third episode goes up on streaming, and then we'll air in one-week installments until the final week, which is going to air the last two episodes as a, like, a two-hour finale event. In September. we got quite a yeah. summer, kids. Um, yes. But before we get too much into that, we do have some horror news. Um, yes. Horror right. headline segment, first yes. and foremost. Uh, Craig has one? Yeah, so I was reading something earlier um, today about the Purge television series that is in the works um, and is going to be airing on Sci-Fi in USA um, sometime next year, I think spring of next year. And they were giving details basically kind of saying that they want the television show 
to focus on what is life like in this world the other 364 days of the year. Okay, so I talked to somebody at work about this. Because I had this burning question that I've postulated to Mr. Kreger several times. Saying you do something on the purge that has repercussions after the purge, like a white-collar crime. Are you held accountable after the purge? Can you use the purge as a defense to say, oh, when I did it, it was the purge? Giant loop. Because in theory, no, right? Yeah. Because no one is held accountable for murder. Yeah. Which is like the goal of the purge. That's what they want to happen. But yeah, like if you launder billions of dollars, is there no... Is there repercussions? You're good to go. Like you're fine. Enjoy your private island. not doing that? (laughs) Right? Ripping the tag off their mattress. They did think in the second one, think through some of that stuff and add in that that sort of bit about... um, you know, like, oh, you can't harm the president or the cabinet or anything like Like, certain government officials are exempt from the purge. And I was like, okay, now you're starting to think. Um, but I also have thoughts. So what happens if? Yeah, it would be really... And well, I'm just thinking about, like... Yeah, it, it, it would be... It is going to be interesting to see what's it like, like, you know, during the year and stuff or whatever. But, like, it's what like about a, the immediate aftermath? Yeah. That's what I want to see. Which we see a teeny tiny bit in... Um, was right. it the, the, the second the one? Two. Yeah. Well, in the first one, too, but in the second one, when they're at the house and then it's the it alarms go off, off and he walks away. Uh, plus, it's like, oh, I'm going to school with Timmy, whose dad shot my dad during the purge. How do I feel about that? How, what do you do? Yeah. You know, it's supposed to release all this, like, stress and stuff or whatever, but it just feels like it would create a lot more. Yeah. So, but, I'm excited. I'm yeah, I'm looking for it. I think um, it's going to be a good show. USA has um, kind of been this weird dark horse with their original programming. Like, Mr. Robot is an amazing show. Mm. I think they're going to do a good job with The Purge. Yeah, I'm excited. And uh, Craig and I saw, because I feel like we mentioned it before, but our biggest complaint about the first one was that it was basically a reverse, or it was a home invasion. It was this amazing concept that turned into a home invasion. And the second one is what everyone really wanted to see from The Purge. Yeah. The second um, one was great. And I really liked the third one, too. I actually haven't seen it yet. I mean, Ooh, haven't Alexa I seen it. it on, like, Fox News at this point? You've seen it if you, like, <laughs> open a computer or turn on a television. Um, but, I yeah. I still need to see it. Um, but, yeah, very exciting stuff. Also in the world of horror TV. I didn't watch this at all. I did not hear things about it while it was airing. I knew that it was happening. The Exorcist TV series was renewed for a second season on May 12th. Um, the thing is, is like I did not pay attention to any part of this show. I mean, I know it's a an original like idea. Like it's not based on the books. It's all original characters. It does use Pazuzu um, right. as the demon, but other than that, nobody really. I think it's supposed to be. I think be Reagan like a, is in it. Because like I, I think it's supposed to be a long build up into how Reagan and like and the McNeils become the target mm-hmm. of the demon. Um, but I don't know because I also didn't watch it. Yeah. I remember seeing like when it was in its second or third week, I read a review that was like, 
oh, it's actually fairly solid. Yeah, and I, I heard thought, that it's huh, not bad. That's interesting. Which but is, I also didn't check it out. Well, it's also really fascinating that they managed to do this since it was given the Friday night slot yes. the entire first season. So the death slot. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I'll go back and watch the first season and pay attention to the second season. It might be worth my while. Obviously, The Exorcist is something you're not supposed to touch. Um, but I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't quite say, oh, it, it's this, that, or the other. Um, it is. I was surprised, though, when I saw that it was renewed. Yeah. And it was renewed just... late. It was renewed very late. That was kind of weird. Um, but it is renewed. Um, also, I don't know if we mentioned it before, but... We tweeted about it in the realm of horror TV. Uh, Haunting of Hill House is getting an adaptation for television as well, uh, which yes. is good. Hopefully, it'll be the exactly. first. Yes, hopefully, it'll be the first good adaptation since the the, the original film because the '90s one that we all know uh, with Owen Wilson is, is something. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously, look for it this coming fall. Stranger Things also back. Um, oh. TV, um, raise a glass to Bates Motel. Yeah, it just finished five season run and it ended really strong. It, was, was, it was just a strong I show throughout. I haven't watched the last season yet. How was Rihanna as Marion? Because I feel like that'd be wild. It was, I really enjoyed yeah. that whole arc yeah. that she was involved in. It's no, it's interesting. And they do something really clever. Uh oh. And I'll leave it at that. Uh oh. Yeah, I haven't watched um, the final season yet because um, obviously I was. Spoiler alert: Norman kills Norma. Um, I was surprised <laughs> at how early she died. I figured that would be the season finale. Um, I oh, well, I thought it was End Game too, or the series finale and, rather. Yeah. Um, no, but I she, said that there's a whole thing. season without Norma. I don't know. I mean, not without Norma. I'm sure I'm gonna. He sees her in his weird little fantasies, but not without real Norma. Um, right. Mother. Mother. Is around. Yes, Norma mother is, is here and Norma is gone. Um, no, I, I, I said the same thing. I remember, you, you know, I mean, because I've been watching it, you know, like from the beginning and season yeah. as season as it happened. And I remember when season four ended, it was kind of like the first time I ever like felt that the show had like done me wrong. Mm -hmm. I was like, I thought it was a bit too early. But I got over that. I was kind of upset that Norma, like, that... The way she died? Because I was The way of, she yeah, died. I kind of expected something a bit bigger. I, I thought I expected something bigger. I expected something gorier, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And I expected, like, something tragic in that Norma would know that, it, that Norman killed yeah. her kind yeah. of thing. And she would feel that ultimate betrayal. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing and is, like, it's... She it, dies without yeah. ever knowing. She dies without knowing. She's, like, smiling when she dies because she's asleep. And, you know, he does it because he plans on killing them both. Like, it's intended to be a murder-suicide, but he, yeah. uh, unfortunately for him and his mindset, he survives and then has a complete mental breakdown when he realizes his mother is not coming back. That being said, you know, like, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning is, you know, what have you. It's just with the way that he killed so many other victims throughout the show, you'd think Norma would turn. And the way that he's gotten, like, scarily violent towards even Norma at points, like, you'd think it would be something bigger. Um, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, and I wasn't sure what to expect or what it would be like. I, I 
it was yeah, it was interesting. But the the final season was really solid, and they went out on a great note. So, props to them. Nice. Yep. Um, I think that's all we got for horror news right now. I think so. Yeah, this is kind of a. There's no real big blockbusters coming out this summer, so. There's some smaller things that look good though. Mm-hmm. Um, that so should make for an interesting summer. Alien Covenant comes out this weekend. Yes. Craig seeing it tomorrow. I'm hopefully seeing it. Soon. I am. But before then, on Saturday night, I'm seeing <gasps> a midnight showing of Fire <laughs> Walk with Me. Yay! Which I'm very excited okay, for. Yes. So it's definitely time. It's time. Let's dive in. There's a lot. To this talk is going to take a long time. <laughs> this is going to be. A long episode. Again, we apologize. We've been throwing a lot of long episodes at you guys. But, but if you've kept up with them, good you, for you. Nobody's sent us you code words yet. <laughs> I know. I know. Maybe they maybe they give up. Who knows? Who but knows? there's a lot of Twin Peaks fans out there, so I feel like they're going to stick around for this one. Yes. Um, yes. So. So. Um, where to begin? <laughs> well, okay. So I saw this... Um, I saw this thing online the other day that I thought was really great, and I think it's a good place to start. Okay. Uh, or give us a way to start. So I'm going to read that to you guys. Um, before men were mad, before thrones played games and bad was broken, before the dead walked, before they got lost, Okay. Before detectives were true and boardwalks were empires, there was something wonderful and strange, and it is happening again. What a great lead-in. Right? What an excellent read-in. Incredible. I know. I just, that perfectly, to me, summed up the feeling Everything. that anyone who loves this show is experiencing right now. Like, the birth of modern television is back, basically. It's back. I mean, it's it's back. And, like, that's it. Don't let anyone ever tell you. Because, you know, there's going to be those those dudes in your film class, TM, who try to tell you, oh, Twin Peaks is this, Twin Peaks is overrated, it's not as influential as it seems. No, they're full of shit. Because even something as... Jimmy Neutron had an episode in The Black Lodge. There's literally an episode of Jimmy Neutron where they're in... Jimmy Neutron, boy genius, they're in the Black Lodge. Like, this thing is so far-reaching, it's insane. And it's not just TV. As um, you will see in a blog post, hopefully, if I get it done and get it over to Craig in time. I mean, I will. It's just it might be after the the premiere. Um, Basically, you know, this thing is so far-reaching. It is in music. It is in in books. If you've read House of Leaves, The Familiar, Wayward Pines, the book or the TV show, Um, if you've listened to Bastille, you know they have a song literally called Laura Palmer, um, which is a really good song, by the way. Um, Even uh, the the synth band... um, the, the sort of dance synth band Years and Years, their music video for one of their songs was inspired by One-Eyed Jacks as a modern-day, like, dance club. Like, like everyone... It did, uh, uh, Night Vale, you know, um, all these yeah. podcasts, web series, Carmilla, uh, uh, like, Lime all Town. these... Yeah. All these things owe themselves to Twin Peaks and would not exist if Twin Peaks did not happen first. 
Uh, Buffy, the other big show out of the 90s that gets credited yes. with, with giving birth to modern television, would not have happened if Twin Peaks hadn't happened first. And uh, you can really see evidence yeah. of that in season four, um, where they, the end of season four, where they're all in their dreams. And there's literally the cheese man that nobody knows what to do with. Like these quirky dream speak sequences that happen throughout Buffy, you know, you know, all these things lead to another, but they all go back to Twin Peaks. Completely. Completely. I love that. I love that you brought up that it's not just television and that, yeah. it, that it's, it's influence stretches into literature and um, podcasts mm-hmm. and music and film and, you know, and, and of course television, you know, like yeah. there's a, a lot of talk now and there has been for several Bates years. Bates Motel about is literally Twin Peaks. Bates Motel, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're in the second golden age of television. And I think that's true. And and you see it in Bates Motel and, and things like American Gods, which just started. Have you watched and, um, that? Has that ha- I, I, I have. It's it really good. Yeah. It's really good. Um, and then even the things like um, Riverdale on the CW. Riverdale is Legion. Twin Peaks for teenagers. I've watched like five episodes of it maybe. Yeah. And I was like, this is literally Twin Peaks for, like, 13-year-olds. It's insane. Like, yeah, you, we're seeing it now. We're totally seeing it now. But, and of course, you know, as Ms. Mel was mentioning, like, it's been this whole time, basically, like, yeah. since the show. And dozens of shows throughout the 90s and the 2000s have nodded to or paid homage or drew from this cult thing. Yeah. Like, any prominent showrunner that you can think of David Chase, Vince Gilligan, Damon Lindelof, um, Sam Esmail, Joss Whedon, Genji Cohen. They've all my named, good friend Genji Cohen to Genji quote Cohen, have all <laughs> my screenplay professor as inspiration and influence for their own yeah work and even like in like it's just and this is part of it like an entire music genre and it's really cool if you can find it it's difficult to find because it was limited release but this genre of music known as witch house which is basically like gothic electronic house music was the result of twin peaks influence they were like let's make ambient music and they used twin peak imagery they used twin peaks um dialogue in their songs um they also use a little bit blair witch is kind of in there too but um, they released, back when it was the 25th anniversary, they released this um, album that was literally an homage to Twin Peaks that, like, did a compilation of all the songs, like, all the be- like the biggest songs out of the genre that referenced Twin Peaks um, and put them on an album. And it was, like, super limited release, and it had really cool, like, crazy Twin Peaks, like, LSD artwork on the front of it and it was insane like you know there's it, it, awesome. it creates an entire music genre you know it's and it's like that's you know a complete non sequitur I mean like because none of it some of it does sample uh, the original music but most of it is just this crazy shit that you wouldn't even think had anything to do with this show in the early 90s and here it is being invented again in the 2010s is, is when this music genre started right so like so so you bring up a good point, right? About the early 90s. Yes. And I think that's so crucial for, like, people to understand now. Like, you have to know, you have to understand, Twin Peaks was serialized drama and mystery-driven storytelling and, like, 
that supernatural detective and like eclectic mix of melodrama and pulp and with some absurd comedy all before any of those things were common in television. Yeah. It was stylish. It was artistic. It was meta. And now like everyone does it now audiences expect those kinds of things. Like we were better able to follow complex mythologies and the shows, but Twin Peaks more or less invented the concept of a mythology it in a serialized. It us stuff. all to be able to do that. Like people who go back to watch Twin Peaks now, they're like, I don't get it. Like, yeah, I get like it's a thing, but it's like blah blah blah. I've seen this fifty times. I'm like, you've seen it fifty times because Twin Peaks did it first. Um, yeah, like that's the thing, that, and that's like like when you there's so much good television out there right now, and there it is, and like when people like people expect quality storytelling in their television, with beautiful filmmaking, with damn good acting. And that's damn great. Damn fine acting. Damn fine cup of acting. <laughs> damn fine acting. But the reason we expect all of that is because Twin Peaks gave it to us first. Yeah. Which is, like, the thing you have to think about about anything. Like, people look at The Exorcist and like, oh, it's not that scary. And I was like, imagine, you know, it's not that scary because everyone's done it now. And you've seen mm-hmm. everyone else doing it. Now you're going back to the, to the source. Um, you know. And that's why I think it's hard. Like, I have friends who are huge film buffs, huge TV buffs, who have tried to watch Tim Peaks and can't really get into it because they're like, I don't get it. Like, I understand, like, the, the whatever behind it and the, the legacy, but I can't really get into it. I prefer, like, basically the newer versions of it, like Bates Motel, which um, sure. is very straightforward. Doesn't really do the, you know, the supernatural elements of it because it's basically about town drama and that sort of thing. Um, but... You know, like you can't you can't talk about any form of media these days without somehow mentioning Twin Peaks. Any Not form of all. American media, at the very least. Not at all. Yeah. Um, so and and I think and I and I won't speak too much on this because I don't know as much. But like it had it has has a huge global reach as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it has peaks freaks as the fandom is called all across the globe. Yeah. So. Yeah. And people, like, that's the thing is, is, like, it's not that there's this giant group of people who get it. It's that there's this giant group of people who are okay with not getting it, who say, I don't get it. And I've waited Mm -hmm. 25 years to find out more. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, first of all, how insane and meta do you get? I was explaining this to, to, to someone a group of friends um, and I are going on Saturday to see Fire Walk With Me. It's playing at midnight at a local theater, um, you know, right before the the premiere on Sunday, which is very exciting. Um, but we were explaining it because they, like, I have friends who were like, knew what Twin Peaks was and, like, just didn't really get into it, blah, blah, blah. And I was explaining, I was like, no, you don't get it. It's so great because they say at the end of the show see you again in 25 years and it's been 25 Mm. years it's been 25 years in our lifetime like in our world it's been 25 years and we're going back to twin peaks like it happened it's happening like how cool is that like what other show could do that and and have it matter so much um it's insane it's so cool to think about it no other show it's like only one and you know and i imagine the peak because you know i was an infant when when even not even an infant (laughs) when firewalk with me came out i was like a newborn but it's like these people who were like my parents who all were like they messaged me they were like twin peaks is like on my d like it's on the guide and it says new like can you explain (laughs) this to me and i was like oh my god you guys like 
it's it is happening again like and they were like oh my god like they like had just such a reaction to it because they were like holy shit like this was the rage in like mm-hmm. the 90s and like it, it went away huge and they're like yeah. all of a sudden they're like oh my god there's new episodes of twin peaks what the hell is happening and i was like you guys um so it's just so cool for those people who were old enough to be like twin peaks and then twin peaks goes away and then patiently waited 25 years um for ne- for now to happen basically for now to happen, you know, and, and yes, and we, we, you know, we obviously cannot claim to be those people who have been waiting no. since the whole I time. Was, I was in a, in a hospital. Right. I was, <sighs> I wasn't born season. And then I was a newborn for the second season. Miss Mel was a newborn when the movie came out. Yep. Um, but that's one of the things I love about being a Peaks freak and being a part of this fandom is that it's one of the few fandoms I know that doesn't establish a hierarchy. Hmm. People don't care when you watch the show, if you watch it during yeah, the original Yeah, that is a big run. thing, yeah. They just care that you have seen the show, that you love that it, you that you opinions. care about it. Yeah, and they, and they just they just love sharing that with you. Like, no matter how old you are or when you watch the yeah. show, that's, a, that's not a factor. It's just, hey, you love the show? I love the show. Yeah. Let's talk about it. No, and that was the thing. I have a friend, the one of the friends that I'm going with to see Saturday. He's like, he's way older than me. You know, he's like, you know, in his 30s. I'm 24 years old. And like the minute we mentioned David Lynch and we were talking about it, I was like, oh, like the, the Carlton Cinema is playing Firewalk with me on Saturday. He was like, oh, my God, really? Like, let's go. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, now it's like. We shared interest before, but now we were suddenly talking about it. We were like, shit, the Black Lodge. And we were like, this and that. And then we were like, Dune was a crappy movie. And like, all these other things um, about it. And it's like, it's just such a connection because it's like the strangest sort of cult following that has like the largest cult following. Like, you know, I don't know history of media and that it's sort like of thing. It's the original cult that's, following. That's the thing. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't know... The the media of I'm just checking my surroundings, um, the um, the um, you know the the history of media and that sort of thing. But it's like as far as I'm concerned, it seems like the modern cult following comes from Twin Peaks, and this is something that established itself kind of at the dawn of the internet. Um, you know, and I'm imagining mm-hmm. all these old eight bit like um, Twin Peaks web contents and that sort of thing, and now like you know. Tumblr exists, and some Twin Peaks fans are getting onto that, and they're on Reddit. That's a huge place for Twin Peaks theories, and there's there's fan sites. Craig and I found a great blog with just, like, the Twin Peaks <laughs> logo, but instead of Twin Peaks, it says, what the fuck? And I was like, you know what? Correct. Um, you know, it's just fun to find out. And that's the thing about cult followings in general is when you find out someone likes this other obscure thing that you like, you get really excited with Twin Peaks. It's weird because it's like everyone knows what it is, but people who actually know what it is, that's where it kind of gets obscure. Because everyone's like, oh yeah, Twin Peaks was that weird show in the 90s. And then there's right. people who are like, I've they know seen it was every weird. Episode. They might know that David Lynch was involved. Yeah. yeah. And then there's people who are like, I own Firewalk with me and all the deleted scenes. Like, And then it's fun to, to talk about it. And it's like, what do you think that this means? You guys can't see me doing it, but the meanwhile with the tree thing, you know, it's fun. It's fun to, to have something like that. And now Twin Peaks is relevant again. And I feel like that's like, like, that's kind of how, 
Like, I feel like I remember the point in my life where I was that person who I just had, like, the vague cultural points mm-hmm. for the show. It was, like, I feel like it was, like, my early high school days. And mm-hmm. I... I've often I knew that imagined I, high school Craig, like, what, finding ways to watch <laughs> Twin Peaks. <laughs> well, I knew that it was a show that I would like when I eventually got around to it mm-hmm. because I, I love... Obsessed with Lost. I love reruns of the X Files. And I would always see Twin Peaks coming up on like internet message boards about like like minded shows. And who doesn't love a good murder mystery? Yeah. Who killed and, and um, Hot Topic? They do, in fact, I was wondering this. They do, in fact, have some Hot Topic or they have Twin Peaks merch and Hot Topic. If you were looking for some that you could get without um, ordering from Amazon and waiting. They have shirts of Laura Palmer's famous picture that says who killed Laura Palmer. They have Twin Peaks t-shirts. I bought a patch for my my jacket and also killed some bed bugs with the iron while I was doing that. Doing so. Which okay, so let's like I mean like even just looking looking circling back a little bit, looking at the um, the tagline that that's yes. now famous that they like they use for their aggressive ad campaign. Who killed Laura Palmer? How many variations of that have just the tagline? Just Amanda their Palmer named an album that has been Neil Gaiman's wife. Neil yeah. Gaiman's wife named a named an album "Who Killed Amanda Palmer" like as an ode to the show. Which, if you haven't yeah. listened to Amanda Palmer's music, it's fucking weird as shit, and it's great, and you should listen to it. Um, but yeah, it's no, very like, appropriate from what you expect of like someone yeah. who would marry Neil Gaiman. Yeah, her eyebrows are, are something to, to be had. Um, uh, but like that AC show, The Killing, yeah. th- then they put on Netflix, their tagline for the first season was Who Killed Rosie Larson? And I was like, Who was a young high school girl with secrets was murdered. <laughs> I assume it was like, Bob. Yeah. It's just great. It's it's insane. Um, and there's so many things that people don't even realize. So, Craig, when I first met Craigery, well, kind of when I first met, I first met Craig in, in my sophomore year of college in a writing class. And apparently everyone was scared of me because I looked mean and they didn't want me to workshop their stories. But the following year... I asked Craig on Halloween day, I was like bored and I was like, what are you doing tonight? I like texted him and he was like, oh, I'm going to my cousin's party. Like, do you want to go? It's like a costume party and the theme is 90s stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I told Jamie, I was like, we're going to a costume party. So get a costume. (laughs) Uh, Craig last minute changed his costume to Dale Cooper. He walked out with a mug and everything and had his hair. He looked great. There was also supposedly some woman at the party who was the log lady. I didn't see her. Oh, no, it was a guy. There was somebody. There was, he, point is, there was somebody, a guy dressed up as the log lady. Somebody was the log lady. I didn't see them, but I was also very drunk that night. Um, we connected so hard. Because it was because it was, we walked into the party and my cousin was there. And he was like, hey! He, sh- he like, screamed it in your face, I And remember. then he screamed when he realized I was Dale Cooper. And he was like, oh, my God. Well, well, I had to do it for him first because I, um, I had the recorder. I had my Diane. So I, like, I, I was like, <laughs> Diane? And then he, like, instantly knew. And he was like, you have to meet somebody. And he, like, dragged me over to meet the guy who would come as the log lady. And then, like, we all screamed. And it was, like, this great moment and stuff or whatever. And, um. Yeah. But that was my first thing. I was like, oh, yeah, Twin Peaks is a thing. Like, I hadn't watched it at that point or really knew much about it. But I was like, yeah, Twin Peaks. Fast forward, my senior year, Craig's in grad school at this point. I've built a blanket fort in my living room. <laughs> um, it's February. 
Um, Which it was perfectly timed for Twin Peaks Day. A week after Craig and I got I don't very know if drunk on Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, Craig brought over his DVD collection because we were like, oh my God, we're going to binge Twin Peaks because like our friends are going to be there and it's going to be a thing. And we watched the entire first season in one sitting. That's a motorcycle outside. Uh, the yes. entire first season in one sitting from the blanket fort. Um, and we, between each episode, paused to watch the Log Lady intros on YouTube. I remember that part. And it was like, that was my first time watching Twin Peaks. And I like very viscerally, viscerally remember that memory of being like, oh, yes. Twin Peaks. Oh, I, rem- yes. I remember And pausing. Craig asked me at one point, at the end of the first season, like when we were like, all right, it's three in the morning, we should go to bed. He's like, so who do you think killed Laura Palmer? And like, I don't remember what Jamie said. I don't care what Jamie said. Um, she said Audrey. And I was like, I feel like her dad did. And Craig just didn't respond at first. He was like, interesting. And like, just went to hit something on his laptop. And I was like, cool. And then like later when it happened, I was like, I fucking knew it. <laughs> like, you know, um, uh, freaking hateful eight. When he was like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. I could not have guessed the way it happened. But I was like, Leland's acting too weird for him not to be involved with this somehow. <laughs> So, oh yeah. yeah, that was great. That was great. Also, spoiler: you didn't know Leland killed Laura Palmer. Bob. And I Leland mean, I guess Laura we should have done that at the beginning. But yes, spoiler alerts: we will be talking about Who killed details. Laura I mean, it's been twenty-five years. You literally have no excuse at this point if you don't. Um, so, mentioning the first season, I yes. mean, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, yeah. Let's begin. Let's, so, let us begin. Yeah. So, okay. So, the very, I mean, start with the pilot, the very first episode. Yes. Um, now known as Northwest Passage, the name of the episode. Probably one of the best pilots ever produced. Yeah. There's just like this perfect establishment, right? Of the town, of like where we are. Of the quirky, like, cast of characters that all live there. I love that, like, the slow introduction to who these people are and and where we are. Like, it very much just says sleepy town. Like, you hear so often Mm -hmm. people use the phrase sleepy town. And, like, this is so weird. Like, you watch the intro and you're like, wow, like, I'm just so chill right now. And then... A body wrapped in plastic. Right. And then, of course, the yeah. Shore. And we, we start very quickly with, with um, one of the most iconic lines from the show, which is she's Pete dead. on the phone to Harry telling him, she's dead, wrapped in plastic. And I think that's the first indication that you're in for something very unusual. Yeah. In this show. Yeah. And it's it's so great because it establishes it right away. He looks at her. He knows exactly who she is. Like, and he mm-hmm. goes to the phone. He says, she's dead. She's wrapped in plastic. They show up. And then. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. Laura. Laura Paul. Yes. Isn't that moment so, like, you've been watching the show for, like, less than seven minutes. And when Harry pulls back the plastic and they see who it is and he says, Laura Palmer, you already feel it. Mm. You know that this girl was was beloved in her town. Yeah. We don't know anything about her officially yet, but in that moment, it's like, oh my god, like this is this is gonna. You're be- like, oh shit, Laura Palmer's dead. Like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, why do I care? 
Um, the parts with her parents, specifically her mom. I mean, Leland too, but Leland like is Leland. But like oh, when her mom God. is like calling to try, because then it cuts to her mom being like, "Hey, like you know, whoever like friend's mom is like Laura with you." She calls her her. They say, "Oh, maybe she went out with her boyfriend." He goes out for runs because he's on the football team. Um, her father hasn't seen her. And it's right. such this great thing where the mom of Donna, her best friend, is like, oh, I'm sure she's like, whatever. And they, she's like, yeah, I'm sure. And they hang up. And when Donna's mom hangs up, she just has this like super worried expression on yes. her face. You can, t you can t tell already that Sarah Palmer knows that that's not the, like, that, that's not the explanation. Even though it's perfectly logical and reasonable she knows something is wrong. And I think that's a great clue of Lynch, Lynch cluing us in, even in the very beginning, that... That just something is so wrong. Something is wrong it. in the Palmer house. Yeah. Um, but no, I love that scene because you've got Leland on the phone at Sarah. Leland's at the Great Northern for work. And that's, you know, like... Harry comes up in the cop car and stuff or whatever. And, and takes and, his hat off. And takes his hat off and Leland says, you know, oh God, Sheriff Truman's here. And then Sarah, you just, you get that deep primal wail. Yeah. Where she's just like, Leland! Leland! And then she just and, screams. And she just screams. And we see that Leland, we cut back to the Great Northern and Leland has dropped the phone. And it's just that phone dangling on the cord. And we can hear Sarah screaming through the phone. And it's totally terrifying and heartbreaking and like weirdly inappropriately funny. Yeah. And it's just like, this is perfect. That's like, that's it though. Like with Leland and Sarah throughout this, like even to the funeral, like their reactions are so inappropriately funny because it's so over the top and so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you're like, it's just weirdly uncomfortable because you're like, oh, ah. like you, you just have this weird reaction to it. Yes. Yes. It's, it's just like, ah, it's, I don't, I hate like saying the term Lynchian cause I feel like that's redundant, mm -hmm. but it is that like weird, strange, unique thing that he does like in that scene with the two of them. It's, yeah. it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, Oh, you, you know, the other great scene I really love from the pilot is at the high school when the news comes in. And Donna just starts crying. And Donna already knows, like, when the message, you know, comes in. She mm -hmm. senses what has happened when the officer walks into the room. And they see that screaming girl who runs and across Laura's desk outside. And Laura's desk is empty. And Donna's just holding her arm up. And she starts to cry. And you have that weird moment where James breaks his pencil. <laughs> when he's just and, like, and, it's, and it's again, it's like, it's ridiculous and extreme and it's really comic, but it works for some Especially reason. Especially because at that time you're like, who the fuck is this chick and why is she crying? Like, yeah, we don't know. But it's, it's that thing where Lynch is already cluing us in that Laura's death is breaking the entire town. And the fact that people knew like you know the sheriff walks up to Leland and he knows the fact that Donna sees her empty desk and she knows like and it just mm. it it um it primes you for later at the funeral where Bobby's like we all knew she was in trouble we all knew something was wrong and we didn't do Ooh. anything about it yes yes which okay like I mean like 
should we talk about that now or should we? We can. I mean, we. Well, okay, hold on, hold on. Well, let's just say another thing I love about the pilot, yes. which is really bold and you couldn't really, and you couldn't get away with this now, is that Dale Cooper, who for all intents and purposes is the main character of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. does not show up until over 30 minutes into the episode. Yeah. In with his jazzy music. Right, which is now uh, like that iconic introduction of him driving into the town, talking to that, you know, Diane, 10.30 a.m. on February the 24th, and I am now entering the town of Twin Peaks. And... Not going to leave. He, yeah, as we would never know then, he uh, doesn't leave. But, like, it, imagine that now. Imagine, like... Not showing your not well, showing, no, and it's interesting you say that because that was a thing with Game of Thrones and them writing their pilot. They had to rewrite it so many times because um, when they originally did the pilot, you didn't meet the Targaryens until a half hour into the pilot, and they were like, "No, this doesn't work. We have to show them earlier." And it's like even now, like people try to do that where they're like, "Okay, here's your main character. You're not going to see them for the first half hour of the pi- this hour long pilot. It doesn't work. But it, it doesn't work. It worked for Twin Peaks for some reason. If for some reason it worked, and and I think that kind of that iconic moment, like that was again, it was another one of those markers that like, okay, we're in for something very very different. Yeah. Um, and and the, the pilot is also really good, you know. Like it is, it establishes the mood, it establishes the tone and, and what's going on. But it also establishes what I feel like is another really key factor for the show, and that's that like very specific Lynch absurd humor mm-hmm. that tends to be very deadpan. Like I think of that moment, like in the diner, where it's like, "Who's the lady with the log? We call her the log lady." Like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It didn't know, answer like, oh, my question, but okay. Yeah, like, or, you know what, I, like, that's, that also is established so well and in the like, first when, episode. When Dale shows up, the first thing he says to the sheriff, he's like, before we talk about it, he's like, I need to know the name of the trees. And he's like, what yes. trees are these? And he's like, Douglas firs. And he's like, Douglas Douglas firs. And there's just this weird moment where they're standing at each other and Dale is like so tickled at knowing the name of these, like, he's so, like, ridiculous, and it's like, yes, Douglas Furs. And it's interesting, because if you did that now, you would immediately get a character that would get typecast as, like, oh, like, this is supposed to be the incompetent FBI agent, but they establish very quickly that he knows exactly what he's doing, because he's in there um, interrogating Bobby, and 30 seconds in, he passes a message to the sheriff and says he didn't do it. Because he knows. Yeah. And he knows before anyone even says um, that a biker is involved, that a biker is involved, because he knows to look in the reflection of Laura's eyes in this video, and he sees a motorcycle, and he says, the man we're looking for is a biker. Is a biker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's really great, too, and just, and just getting us to know who is Dale and getting us to trust him. And that's, and I think out of the hands of Lynch and out of the hands of Kyle McLaughlin, who is very, very excellent in this role, that could have been really mishandled and Mm -hmm. Dale could have come off as like a total tool. Yeah. But he doesn't. No. No, you like trust him instantly. Yes. So it's a really great opening. It just, um, it's one of Lynch's best. 
it gets compared a lot to his opening to Blue Velvet, which that movie gets compared a lot to Twin Peaks in general, kind of like that idea of the beauty of suburbia and the mm-hmm. dirt underneath. Yeah. Like like in Blue Velvet where you have that opening shot of the ants fighting on the anthill and stuff or whatever. It's like there's all this great stuff happening on top and there are very sinister things happening underneath. Yeah. And you get that within the first half an hour of this show. Even Which. if you don't realize that you get it. Which, and it's interesting because when they're going through Laura's things and they pull out, you know, and Dale finds, you know, he's like, they find a, a small plastic envelope and he's like, test this. I'm sure you'll find that it has cocaine or whatever residue on it. And like everyone else is like shocked. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, test it. And it comes back positive for cocaine. And like before that even happens, he's asking Donna, he was like, how long was she addicted to cocaine? And like, he knew all these things. Um, instantly about her and when we get to the funeral scene where Bobby who for all intents and purposes has been like an asshole to this point like been kind of like coming across not great Um, you know his dad says to him he's like oh you're afraid and he's like oh I'm not afraid I'm gonna turn it upside down and he freaks out at the funeral yelling at everyone who's crying at Laura's funeral he's like we all knew she was in trouble we all knew something was wrong and we didn't do Mm -hmm. anything about it um at which point you kind of are like, wow, like, okay, like, you know, Bobby, who has been an asshole up until this point, like, you know, has a point there that something clearly was wrong. You know, at this point, we know that Laura was addicted to cocaine. Don, or Audrey mentions that she was working at One Eye Jacks or possibly affiliated with One Eye Jacks where she hints that the girls who worked there were prostitutes and that sort of thing. And you're starting to uncover this picture and you're like, oh, like, you know, this is the homecoming queen. This is the girl that, you know, the law, the lumber mill shuts down because, because she's mm-hmm. dead. She's um, dead. I love that scene with when Bobby explodes at the funeral is one of my like, favorite. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole show and specifically one of my favorite moments with Bobby. Um, just because what he says is so true and so, like, gut-wrenching. Yeah. And I, I really feel like Dana Ashbrook, the, a- the actor who played Bobby, he's, like, that's where he, like, set the standard for how you play teenagers. Yeah. If you're not a teenager. Like, that just felt very, re- that feels very, very real when you watch that. Yeah. Um, and the funeral scene is just really great and general. Um, that like when Leland throws himself on the coffin yeah. as it's being lowered and, and like it's taken as this another one of those like absurd weird moments yeah. and stuff or whatever and it's going but, up and down and up and yes, down but, it, yeah, but, that's, but that's Lynch giving you this visual illusion of Leland on the coffin up and down up and down hinting at the terrible happened. things that were happening yeah. in the Palmer household. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like that's classic Twin Peaks where while you're laughing, Lynch is doing like a sleight of hand and he's actually pointing you towards, yeah. towards an answer. Yeah. Uh, so great. So fucking great. I mean, and that's like, uh, It's just, the whole show is this sort of, especially the pilot in the first couple episodes, 
it feels like a perfectly woven tapestry. Yeah. The music, the cinematography, the characters, the story, it all just blends really, really well together. Yeah. Another scene where I feel like you see that is in the morgue, where Cooper pulls out mm. the letter from Laura's nail. Yeah. And you have, like, that frizzing light above them and yeah. stuff or whatever, which was an accident, actually. The lights were supposed to just work. Um, <laughs> but Lynch just embraced it, and he's like, no, leave it. Well, that's what um, happened with Bob, too, is he accidentally ended up in a shot, and he was like, you want to be an actor? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, those sort of perfect moments or, you know, that first conversation between Cooper and um, – Sheriff Truman and, and Harry and like any and any other show, the writers would be like, make them have tension, you know, small town sheriff and, F, yeah. you know, big town FBI. But in their conversation, all of that tension is discarded. There's humor. There's already like affection and stuff or whatever. And, you know, Harry is like, yeah. no, I don't know what we don't. This is out of our, yeah. our comfort zone and stuff or whatever. Um, and Albert comes in. Who has such a great character arc from asshole to being like total believer and understanding like what's going it, on? Oh, I love I love Albert Rosenfeld. He's such an interesting character. Um, so let's talk about okay. So let's talk about obviously like you know we want to hit on the big stuff because we can't we can't talk about everything. Um, there's so many amazing things going on in this show and things that don't necessarily relate to the main mythology. You know, um, you've got, you know, Norma at the diner with, with her romance with Big Ed and then Hank coming back in the picture. You've got, um, the the lumber mill burning down the lumber mill storyline involving Catherine and Pete and Josie Packard and Ben Horn. Um, and you've got uh, you've got the triangle between Leo and Shelley and Bobby, and you have Doctor Jacoby, and, and and there's so much, and I'm sure we'll touch on them. But but so let's talk about in the third episode, which is called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer, which is like where we really so frustrating. Get, I know we get um really so much of, like, what's going to happen on the show. Yeah, the pilot kind of reserved the supernatural stuff. It didn't really show that hand yet. It wasn't until the end of the second episode that you got a view of what we would come to realize later is the Black Lodge. Yes, Um, in the the first Red Room dream sequence that Coop has. Yeah. And and we're like, what the fuck? Or he's, he's... for some reason much older um and you know the the man from another place is dancing around talking it's got a name the specific type of speaking that they're doing because it's they've spoken the lines backwards and then someone has made that reversed so it's the lines spoken as we would englishly understand them as forwards but it's been spoken backwards so it sounds very strange like it's just super fucking weird 
Um, and mm -hmm. he's talking, and he's like, oh, the gum you like is coming back in style. And this woman walks out, who is Laura Palmer, and he says, oh, this is my cousin. Doesn't she look like Laura, Laura Palmer? And Dale's like, that, that is Laura Palmer. That is Laura Palmer. And the man from other place says she's full of secrets. And um, she whispers. She tells him that sometimes her arms bend back. Yeah, she says, sometimes my arms bend back. And she comes up to them, and she kisses him, and she whispers in his ear the name of her killer. Dale wakes up, tells everyone he knows who killed Laura Palmer, and then is like, oh, well, I forget that part of the dream, but here's everything else that happened. Yes. It, it's so crucial, because this was the moment where the show decided, or not, not decided, but declared that the mystic and the supernatural were going to be essential yeah. to this show and to what was happening here. And you're totally wondering the whole time, what the fuck is happening? Yes. But it's not a bad what the fuck. It's You love that feeling. You can't stop watching. You're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, because you have the strange mood that gets established, you know, um, by the poem. Mm, yes, I missed the poem. I totally and then, the um, it, and, 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 and everything is weird and sort of mournful and unsettling, you know, in the room itself. And, and it resonates, like, with you very, like, psychologically. Yeah. Um, but it's great, and um, so yeah. I miss the, the beginning part of the the dream though is the poem where Mike is reciting the now famous "Fire Walk with Me" poem, and you got your first glimpse at Bob. Um, and it's so insane looking at it retrospectively to be like all these things I know about Mike and Bob and the man from the other place, and like all these things, and it's like "Fire Walk with Me" has become an iconic like thing obviously like right. this one of the big quotes the prequel is named fire walk with me um you know and the poem's just so fucking weird mm -hmm. it doesn't it, it doesn't make sense yeah. i mean and and even now like there are all kinds of different interpretations of what it could mean and, and who it could apply to and who's being referenced and what's being referenced and um which is a great thing about the show yeah um, but even so, even outside of the red room sequence, the dream in this episode, there's so much like so many great Lynch moments, like the scene where Jerry Horn is introduced. Yes, and he has the baguettes from France. Yeah, and there's this yeah, weird comes thing the as like he and Ben are eating them, and they're making like these weird like, like groans. Yeah, like animal sexual sounds, and these and baguettes somehow become like a twisted thing as they're eating them, and and that's like that scene is so great because um, the actress who played Ben and Jerry, when they were doing it, they were like kind of holding back, and they've said in interviews that Lynch was like, "No, go big, go big, make it like ridiculous mm -hmm. and stuff or whatever," and it is, it's weird and bizarre but for some reason you leave that scene feeling like you know the horns yeah the horn brothers and who they are as people yeah like these weird totally sleazy like hotel <laughs> owner promoter guys like it's insane it's so weird you've got the um and you're like suddenly i understand audrey's constant glare like i get it right <laughs> the eternal audrey glare and then in this episode, you also have the rock throwing scene where the, um, yes. they decide, you know, because Laura had written in her diary going to meet Jay tonight. And so they, 
So I'm going to write everybody that we know who starts with J and I'm going to throw rocks and whoever hits, that's who we need to talk to. And it's totally bizarre. It's really funny, but it somehow it works. And I think it's because Dale believes. And it's so so ominous. Yeah. Cause he like explains it in this long drawn out thing about how he learned about the Tibetan people and their plight. But then he was like, but I had a dream about using this. He like names it basically. It's combining like physiological things with like theories right and, you know Dale's whole tibet thing yeah so like when he throws it at it knocks the first time when he says james his name and he's like all right note that it didn't shatter but it fell over that's important and then when he says um leo johnson and it breaks and it's like just this yeah. ominous moment where they're just like okay like there's We've something got it. This, and you're totally willing to believe you're like, okay, there's something foolproof about this and there's something ominous about it. And Leo Johnson definitely was involved. Yeah. And you're like, and then like, there's that part of your brain that says like, this isn't detective work, but it's totally overrided by everything else. And, and you're on board and you're on this journey and you're like, yeah, go talk to fucking Leo Johnson. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I also love from that episode, the scene with Audrey and Donna at the Double R Diner, mm-hmm. where yeah. Audrey starts dancing randomly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really visceral. And like, you're not sure why. Yeah. Because um, it's like, you've got Audrey and she's sort of like ruminating on her like, Insta crush meet cute with Dale. Um and it's like, I kind of interpret it that her dance in that moment is, to, is like to be a connection when the man from the other place is dancing in the red room yeah. at the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's a plot point, but like the, it's the image that yeah. stays with you and stuff. I love, I, I don't know. I, I love that scene. No, and, um, I love how... And- it like establishes that music is something that comes back and back and back as well. Cause it's like the first time we hear it repeated since the red room and it like kind of meshes those things where it's like, okay, things that happen in the red room, things that happen in these dreams do have repercussions in the real world because here's the link between them. Mm-hmm. So it's so great. It's so great. And I love that you can just like that scene with the man from the other place can come across as helpful Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can also come across as much darker. Yeah. And I, that's another good thing that kind of the beauty of the show, it, there's nothing clear or anything. And that's uh, like the interesting thing. Cause it's like, okay, the man from the other place doesn't like Bob, but that doesn't necessarily make him good either. Right. You know, he's helpful to the point that he doesn't like Bob, but that doesn't mean he gives a, you know, crap about whatever else happens. And that's the thing is like everybody in the show has ambiguous morals because they're all sort of like uh, emotionally tied or loyal to a very specific group of people. So it's like sometimes it's helpful when it benefits them and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Which makes Dale Cooper such an interesting character, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like he's sort of this like holistic, goofy, anti-noir sort of character and stuff or whatever. But as the show goes on, we find out that his morality is a lot more compromised and complex. Mm -hmm. And 
and looking at certain theories of the show and what his arc is and what happens to him, he might not have been as holistic as we thought. Yeah. Um, it's super interesting. And, and I think this is where, this is like, you know, this episode is also where we understand that, okay, Lynch and, and Mark Frost always had plans to go deep into the Black Lodge mythology. Um, yeah, because you established that, the, the, the secret society, like in the fourth episode, like where they yeah. say, we know there's something wrong in the woods. We know that there's something weird. We've got a secret society that for generations has been trying to do something about it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I mean, they always, they always knew, Lynch always knew that it was, that it was Leland who had killed Laura. That was always the plan and stuff or whatever. And then he knew that the the lodge was going to be tied in at one point. And I think even that is something that has influenced a lot of people, you know, like the five season plan for television shows. You have to know where your narrative is going. You have to know how your mystery resolves and stuff or whatever. Because it's, they did know. Sirens. It's interesting, though, too, because he never planned on revealing that Leland had killed her. He wanted it to be a mystery right. forever. Like, literally, the eternal question, who killed Laura Palmer? Which, like, if you think about it, would have been low-key so much cooler if we were still asking today, who killed Laura Palmer? But, you who know, that's Laura? unfortunately not the way TV works and the way ratings work and... Um, pressure from from the studio forced him to reveal who the killer was but um. and 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 it wasn't like he that was his plan because he wanted to be a dick he just all he just so much loves the idea of the unanswered question the mystery but he was still playing fair he was still giving clues like you know we talked about that that like sort of sustained portrait of grief with Leland and Sarah cluing us into what was happening in the household. Um, the the presence of Maddie, you know, arriving in town and Freaking that like Maddie. weird reference to Vertigo and how Leland like immediately latches to his niece and stuff like that. Um, so shortly after we were told that, you know, the, the man from another place has a cousin who looks like Laura Palmer, who is Laura Palmer walking up in the, in the black lodge <laughs> Um, in real life, Laura's cousin, Maddie Ferguson, shows up, looks exactly like Laura Palmer, because she's played by Shirley, um, with black hair. And it's like total. it's black like, hair. it's a, that's a Lynch thing too, playing on the images of women with inverted colors and that sort of thing. Yeah. But everyone's like, totally like, holy shit, this girl looks like Laura Palmer. And they employ her in, in things to try and make people think she's Laura Palmer to get information and that sort of thing. And it ends up taking a very tragic turn in season two um, with Leland in particular and Bob um, and their obsession with Laura and the whole it is happening again thing. Um, Maddie Ferguson is such a weird, interesting character. She is a very weird, interesting character, um, and her presence is 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 weird and 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 hotly debated and and very very interesting. And the tension she causes between Donna and James, you know, in terms of the romance and stuff or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Which, speaking of the romances, I feel like I just want to say that like um, the romances, you know, specifically in season one, are actually moving. Yes. And it, 
it's very effective when we get these moments of the genuine emotion sort of happening amidst all the darkness of this town. Yeah. There's that like moment um, near the end of season one where um, we start really, really close up with Donna and James discussing Laura. And then we, we just keep doing this shot reverse shot sequence. And it's very, very intimate as like the two of them are sort of drawn together over the idea yeah. of Laura and, and, it, and it works. Yeah, no, because they first, like, they first get together when they're standing over that, that necklace that they're burying under the rock that had belonged to Laura. And um, they're saying, like, oh, we're going to find out who killed her. We're going to find this out. And it's this weird, like, almost, like, threesome vibe between them where it's, like, yeah. they're drawn together because they both love Laura so much that, like, they're drawn to each other because it's as close as they can get to Laura. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's it's very compelling where it could easily be stale, I feel yeah. like. Um, yeah, because it's like nowadays you think, oh, of course the best friend goes for the boyfriend after she dies. But that's not what it is. Like, it's not like they're getting not, together yeah. saying like, oh, my God, like I've loved you from afar. It's like literally like you're realizing along with them this attraction that they have now that Laura's gone. They're the, they have to because it's as they close ha- as they can they get have. to her. Yeah. Right. And they both want and they're both wanting the same things. You like they both know that they didn't really know who she was. Yeah. But they want to. And they they know that they knew sides of her that no one else did, but they still don't have the full picture. Yeah. Um, um Well, okay, so speaking of, of uh the romances, um then you've got Big Ed and Norma. Yeah. And this, yeah. That's kind of a fun, different thing where, like, it's very soap operatic, right? Yeah. And um, I feel like you watch it now and you're like, okay, if this show was going to be on for 20 years, it would be, like, Big Ed and Norma. They would be the ones that would, like, carry it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you'd be like, when are Big Ed and Norma going to get together? It's like, oh, oh they fucking they Nadine took sleeping pills again. Nadine got these obstacles. You've got... Hank's in jail, Hank's out of jail and stuff or whatever. And, and it's crazy. And, and, and Nadine, I didn't really, I did not gravitate towards her the first time I ever watched the show, but on rewatches, I feel like her character is like spot on. You um, feel bad for her at a certain point. Like you get it. You like you don't get it. Like you don't understand why you get it. Cause you're like, I don't understand why this woman's so fucking sad all the time. But you're like, no, I get it. Like you're feeling something right. and I'm getting it. Because she knows and she sees and she's seen it for years that her husband is not actually in love with her. Yeah. He loves her, but he's not in love with her. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's when I first watched it, I was kind of like, eh, but then on rewatches, I, I appreciate a lot more of that story. The same kind of happened to me. I don't know for you, like involving like the whole um the Packard plot line in the mill. Yeah, and that's sort of like doesn't really... of the Ghostwood project um i don't connect as much with that as i do with like the weirdness yeah that would come on and i'd be like all right time to wonder what that sound is in my living room oh like yeah like it's okay but you know um and like when hank kind of gets out of prison like that's that that, that's kind of a bit of a struggle um yeah because you're like you're totally some like big murderer but you're like okay i don't know anything about that so i don't really yeah well that was and that was weird too because i feel like like when they brought hank in it was sort of like the beginning of this like phase where like they just kept bringing people into town to start drama like you see it a lot more season two but like hank was the beginning of it yeah um but 
you know, um, the what else? oh the one I the one I Jack story was usually interesting, sometimes funny. Um, maybe that was more interesting though because it kind of tied in a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it got you clues about Laura, but it didn't get you many because it's like everyone from One Eye Jacks ended up being a dead end because they got shot. Or they just didn't find it. Yeah, they all, they just like all ended up dead, like all the Renaults and, and, um, Blackie and, and then Horn gets out of the situation. You get it very quickly from, from Audrey in her one line when she's talking to Dale and he's like, what's one eye jack? She's like, it's where men went to, to gamble or whatever. And she's like, well, were there women there? And she was like, well, women worked there. And he was like, Mm -hmm. did Laura work there? And she kind of takes this pause and she's like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get what's happening. Like, we didn't need to I go guess. all the way to One-Eyed Jacks and go through all that crap to get it. Right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. And, and, and it can get kind of soapy at that point and yeah. stuff or whatever. But, but, but what's great is that Lynch was aware and, and, and so much of Twin Peaks acts as a parody yeah. of, like, those primetime soaps like Invitation Dynasty and to Dallas. Love. Yeah, and they have their own one, Invitation to Love, where where Lynch pokes fun at that, and and there's there's always parallels in that of, in terms of what's actually happening in the show, um, and uh, it's yeah, interesting I, though. Speaking of Audrey and like her mentality, because it's like on the one hand she's doing what she's doing because she's trying to get close to Cooper because she's like got her immediate like infatuation with her. But on the other hand, she says to him, she's like, I knew Laura a lot better than a lot of people did. And you get this idea that there is something there. Like, I don't think she cares about Laura, but it's enough that she's like invested because she was like, you know, he was kind to my brother. He helped my brother. I knew her more than a lot of people did. And I knew the bad parts of her. And that's enough where she's she's interested in what's happening. Yeah, and that's created a lot of interesting discussions over the years, you know, among fans and stuff or whatever. And because you you don't really get a sense beyond that of how Audrey actually felt towards Laura. Yeah, she says that she knew her better. She says that she knows the bad parts of Laura, but did she care? Was she broken up? Did you know? The, Did she I do anything about they, it? Right. It's clear that they weren't friends. Yeah. Um, well, she, and she says the, as much, too. She's like, we weren't friends. Because I think somebody asked her at one point, they're like, what are you doing this for? And she's like, well, we weren't friends. And she was like, but she was kind to my brother. And she was like, mm-hmm. so, you know. And, and it's like, so what does that mean to Audrey? Is that enough yeah. that Audrey cares about finding out what happened to Laura? Um, it's, it's It's very interesting. And... And in classic Lynch style, he he doesn't give you enough yeah. of Audrey in that direction to make it clear. Um, and um, so season one, um, it ends with a great cliffhanger. Which I've thought many times in the past few days how much I would love for a bullet to just go through every single one of these little bastards in my bed. Yeah, just like poop. <laughs> Uh, uh, hasn't happened yet. But. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened. I mean, there's lot. There's lots of. There's lots of cliffhangers in the season one finale. There's the mill fire and 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 Shelley's tied up there and uh, Hank shoots Leo and and all this stuff or whatever. But of course, the big one was who who yeah. shot 
Agent Cooper, you know, when he opens his hotel room door, he gets shot and stuff or whatever. And and that was a big deal at a time when cliffhangers like that weren't really done between seasons. Yeah. Um, and I think... I love, though, I love, love, love the very next scene in the next season where he's greeted oh my by gosh. the giant. Oh, my gosh. So, so yes, now it's time to get into season two, right? Mm, yes. I mean, yes, let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Go, go, go. So go. he's on the floor bleeding out because two of the bullets have hit his vest, which is ridden up because of the wood tick. And, like, he's shot in the stomach. And this dude comes in with his warm milk that he's ordered. And he's like, oh, here's your warm milk. And hands him the check. And Cooper's like, okay. And is, like, signing the check. And he's like, does this include gratitude? And you're just like, oh, my God. Yes! Which, oh, my God. And so. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go go for it. No, I was just going to say, once again, an absolutely perfectly absurd David Lynch scene, you know, where we where you have this like protracted, like feels like it's never ending opening that is refusing to resolve this who shot Agent Cooper cliffhanger. Yeah, he's like a solid 10, 15 minutes. He's on the ground <laughs> signing this check, getting his milk. Like the the bellhop is right. speaking to him. And yeah, and you get that amazing thing. Does this hold, you know, does this include gratuity? Which it's like, this whole thing is gratuitous, right? This dark comic sequence. You get the arrival of the giant. He the provides the three clues. Um, and yeah. And, and, and all in that thing, like suddenly everything is reframed, yeah. you know, like we're being brought in deep now to the supernatural mythology. Um, and I just, I can't imagine, like, the people who watched it in 1990. Who were like, what the fuck? Just having to do that. That week-to-week thing must have been so frustrating. And that, that gap between seasons, it was about four months between season one um, and season two. That, like, that must have just driven people insane. Especially because of the hype between and seasons. And you didn't have just the internet. Grew. And you didn't have the internet. You didn't have the internet. And and the show was huge. It was airing on Thursday nights, which was the biggest, best, like most competitive night of television back then. Um, it had gotten 14 Emmy nominations for the first season. And it was just... I, the fans must have just been losing their minds. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. And then ha- having to sit through that opening that just takes 10 minutes of the waiter coming back and forth. But it's so, it's, like, great, too, because the way that Lynch does these sort of prophetic things is not how you normally would, like, when you hear prophecies in books and that sort of things, it's like, okay, it's, like, not straightforward, but it is. Like, the shit the giant says is, like, I would never in a million years have any idea what you're fucking talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. And Cooper pieces it together, except for the fucking owl thing. Um you know, he pieces together what it means and, and the giant takes his ring and he says, you know, I'll return this to you when you find these things I've said to you to be true. And Cooper's like, okay. Um, and they do, they happen. Like he, he remembers them and they start to happen over the course of the second season. And it's one of my favorite things is when they get the, the satellite 
things, uh, the data or whatever from the satellites. Oh, yeah. And it says, like, the owl, like, it's gibberish, and then in the middle of it says the owls are not the what owls they are seem. Not what they seem. And it's like, at that point, you're thinking aliens, and then you find out that the satellites were actually intercepting a message from the woods. From the forest. Yeah. And you're like, not the star. And you're like, oh, fuck. That's, that's worse good. somehow. I don't know how, but it is. <laughs> it, it, but it is, right? Right? Well, and, and, and so, okay, so let's think about, you know, if, like talking about the mythology, talking about now getting, we're getting into it deep. Um, the end of the season two premiere. Yes. Where it's that sort of peek into the night of the murder. Where, where we're in the train yeah, car. Yeah. And we see Bob over Laura's body and that, animal shout that he does of that vision that Cooper is having and, and stuff or whatever, because now we have the info about there was a third man who was present that night. And, mm-hmm. and they, you know, there was that big push in the campaign back in the day, who was the third man. And um, I love that they end that moment with Bob and, and the super violence of it all. It, it's, it's very, very And it's so, and I guess we'll get into this as we go more throughout, but it's like, you know, Bob is just so, like, he's the closest the show gets to gore as well, too. Like, the way of how violent he is, how animalistic he moves, how animalistic he acts, how unhinged he is. And, like, you know, you've got all these other spirits in the Black Lodge who want nothing to do with him, who were like, he is insane. Like, we want to find a way to contain him or get away from him and all these other things. And it's like, Bob is, like... And that's, like, in terms of, like, you know, the reveal of who killed Laura Palmer, it's, like, you've seen this man throughout the series, like, in random little visions, and you're, like, that's scary, that's horrifying. But it's, like, the way he is is just so you're willing to accept it at face value. Like, this man is, like, horrifying. He's, like, completely demonic. Like, I don't need to know who he Mm -hmm. was in life or what he was before this. Like, he's just, he's obsessed with Laura, um, Lynch has. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's that's all I got. <laughs> Lynch has such a interesting way of dealing with evil mm-hmm. and and sort of personifying evil. You know, like um, just thinking he. I don't think, it, and it's not that Lynch like that believes that like evil is a person. You know, like that, it's not that he doesn't believe in it conceptually. Mm-hmm. But he does this amazing thing in sort of personifying it in characters like Bob and Twin Peaks. And like he does it, um, you know, in, in Blue Velvet with Frank and, and, and in, um, you know, Lost Highway and stuff or whatever. And yeah. It, yeah. And that's the it thing. Makes with, it, it makes it really, really interesting and it makes it really, really scary. And that's the thing with the Black Lodge, too. Like, the Red Room, which is, like, the only part of the Black Lodge we've seen. Like, we're told the Black Lodge is a place of absolute evil. And that's, like, where evil resides. And everyone has to pass through it um, when they're dying, basically, is, like, the idea. Is that you have to go through the Black Lodge. And if you, you enter it in a specific way, then it will just destroy your soul and that sort of thing. And it's, like, interesting if you think about the Red Room as the conception of evil... And chaos, and it's like, you know, it's this room with strangely patterned floors and endless, endless red curtains and backwards speaking mm-hmm. and riddles, and everyone's got a double in this place. Um, I'm doing a lot of nodding. You guys can't see that. But yeah. I'm like, <laughs> nodding along. 
and everyone mm-hmm. in the red room has a double and that sort of thing. Um, and it's just insane to think about it and say, okay, say, okay, the red room represents absolute evil. What does that mean? Um, right. If you look at it through that lens. Which is a crazy interesting lens. Yeah. This, yeah. I mean, nothing this... in there is inherently like bad. Like nothing in there is inherently right. um, violent. Like you're in there and you're just like, this is kind of fucking weird. And then Bob shows up and you're like, oh yeah, no, this this is a little bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the things you get at the end in the last scene in the red room and how like very twisted that place can be. Um, yeah. 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 So I think the second season just starts off so, so, so strong. That glimpse of Bob at the end of the season two premiere. And then that also that moment, I don't know if, I can't remember if it's the next episode or like two episodes later where, and it's, again, this is one of my, like, it's beautiful. And it's one of my favorites where we have James, Maddie and Donna and they're doing the recording in Donna's living room and they're singing Mm. just you and I. Yeah. And it's very dreamy. It's very yeah. romantic. There's moments where it's very funny. But then that sort of holy moment between the three of them that is also very sad ends in terror and horror when Maddie has the vision of Bob climbing over the couch. Mm-hmm. Craig sent me that gift a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's that it's another perfect moment where it's like don't like this the beauty is going to be tarnished like yeah. you what you're trying to hold on to you it's going to slip from your fingers and it's so interesting because if you take bob at face value <laughs> you know he's a harasser he's a sexual predator he's like all these things that we know to be true in life like we know that there are physical people in the world who are these things but it's mm-hmm. like Bob is the vision of every single one of them and the intent behind it, like, in one person. You know, he's completely obsessed with Laura to the point where he, he wants to become her. Like, it's insane, um, his his obsession with her. And then it, that transfers over to Maddie a bit. Um, you know, and it's just horrifying. And it's horrifying in the way you think of, like, Phantom of the Opera, where it's like to think that one person, one entity could be so focused on another person um, there's something that, very sick about that yeah in that way uh, the, the just total obsession over not even an idea or an abstract concept like a living being uh, to the point where you know Bob you know who has been possessing Leland since he was a boy ends up killing her brutally after raping her for years mm. and, and yes. all these other things so I want to come back to what you mentioned about Bob and his possession of Leland, but I also want to hit on something that mm-hmm. you mentioned about um, Bob being a, a figure for like a larger mm-hmm. group or a larger concept. Because I also think that in season two, we get a really interesting figure who does the same thing, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And that's um, major Briggs, yeah. Bobby's father. Yeah where he is sort of, he sort of becomes this, this figure in season two of like traditional established Americana. Yeah. Right. Like he's sort of like the dream 
and and as the season goes on, he becomes this figure in the mythology, right? Like he's involved um, with 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 Project Blue Book, which he plants the clue to very early on in the season. Um, eventually, letting Dale know that you know, like what was going on with Project Blue Book, it wasn't pointed at the stars; it was looking at the forest. Yeah. Um, and then you pair him with Bobby who is very much this like wonderfully teen sort of like 1950s James Deanish rebel. And then you get, I feel like I've said this like eight times already in the podcast. So you like, please just like mentally slap me. Another one of my favorite scenes <laughs> between Bobby and his father and the double R diner. Yeah. Where major Briggs tells him that like weird disjointed story. Mm hmm. And um, Bobby is just, like, so moved, and, and he cries. And it's just, I feel like that so perfectly sets the tone for the second season. And it's just, I don't know, I love that scene so much. Yeah. Bobby and, ends up being such an interesting character, too, because he starts out, and you think, oh, you I know. Bobby. He's you, fascinating. You watch him, and you're like, I know exactly who this character is, who he is, ends up going to be, blah, blah, blah. And then as you get through, you're like, oh, like, that's not how I, I pictured it as all, at all. Well, and that's Lynch fucking with us, right? And being yeah. meta. Because so much of the concept of the show is uncovering all of Laura's secrets. You know, this whole town, they thought they knew her. Yeah. But she was completely different. And we see these characters and Bobby is a prime example. And we think we know Bobby instantly. And then we find out that, that that's not the case. Yeah. And, and it's so different. And he's so deep and complex. Just, just yeah, as more immediate thought is like, Oh, the boyfriend killed her or the boyfriend had something to do with it. And it's like, they're very upfront about the fact that they had their issues. They were going through a situation, but there's absolutely no way Bobby killed her. And you're like, right. wow, like it's just such a total reversal on the way these things normally go. Right. And then it's like, and once you know him and once you get to season two, once you get to the end of the show, you, the viewer know, like, there's no way Bobby could have ever done that to her. Yeah. But now we know him, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So we, let's do the big talking point. The solving of the murder, which mm -hmm. happens in episode 14 called Lonely Souls. Yes. Um, the last 20 minutes of that episode are just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's this sort of like disturbing, majestic quality behind everything. Yeah. You have Dale. Dale goes to the bar. He goes to the roadhouse. You have Julie mm. Cruz crooning away on her <laughs> sad song. It's not Nightingale. It's the other one. It's Into the, the other night. one. Into the night. Yeah. And um, and and then we're cutting back and forth. We're at the Palmer household, where eventually, as it plays out, this vicious, malicious attack happens on Maddie. Um, and and you know, Cooper, you, we see him in the roadhouse, and he senses that there's this unfinished business, right? Yeah. Even though at this point. Benjamin Horn has been arrested for Laura's murder. He knows that like the supernatural aspect of whatever is happening here mm -hmm. is, is for not lack resolved. of a better term, magic. <laughs> magic. Right. 
and things and things are unresolved. And then and then the giant comes in and interrupts Julie Cruz. Don't and forget though, the, the bellhop is there too. Is right, is there too. And you know, and gives us the famous line, it is happening again. So that this sort of sweet scene and you know, and there are many of the main characters are there, right? James is there and and Harry and and, and Hawk and stuff mm-hmm. or whatever. Bobby's there. Bobby is there and um, I think Dr. Jacoby is there and all of a sudden we're drenched in sadness and horror. And I think it's just so well, like the communication that everyone there and by extension, I would say the town at large feels the violence of mm-hmm. what is happening at the Palmer house at that moment. Yeah. You know, like, and so much of that, like when it is revealed, you know, when it's, we see that Bob has possessed Leland and Leland is the killer and the attack on Maddie. That scene is very disturbing. Yeah. It's very violent, but it's almost a suggested violence of what happens. That's more mm-hmm. sinister. You know, that classic thing of what you don't, don't see. Don't show the monster. Yeah. And, uh, and like, I always think of when that sequence begins with um, Sarah struggling down the stairs because mm-hmm. she's been drugged. Yeah. Because Leland is once again going to commit violence in the home. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just so great. There's, I feel like there's just this, I don't know. It's, it's a great, it's a great sequence. It's it is. Great... And it's just so heartbreaking because you're like, Maddie is just a sweet, she's the opposite of Laura. She's like this sweet, girl who shows up and then she's just because she looks exactly like Laura for whatever reason and you know it's it's interesting because Leland latches to that himself in the first season immediately right. which is like a clue that something's going on there um and you know Bob obviously sees that and is obsessed with that as well and it just manifests in this awful like display of violence while uh, the song is playing and the giant is warning Dale you know it's, it is happening again. It's, you know, and then it's interesting too, cause it's got layers. Cause it's like in Bob's mind. Yes. It's happening again. It's another Laura. It's another, it's another entire thing that's happening. And mm-hmm. as I guess we'll get to, when we get to the end of this, you know, supposedly um, Maddie will be back in, in uh, the new series mm-hmm. in some fashion, possibly in the black lodge since all souls must pass through through the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. It's just... You know what else? I've read some interesting things over the years looking at that scene and looking at that episode because... Um, well, an important point to know is that... Um, and, and Ms. Nell mentioned this before. Lynch had no intention of ever resolving the murder. Of ever revealing what, you know what happened. Um, But there was intense pressure from the network to solve the murder because the ratings were declining. And so, you know, Lynch, Lynch opposed it, but, but then it kind of had, it it happened. And I, sometimes like, you know, a lot of people have said that like that scene and that sequence is so powerful because it's not only like what's happening to Maddie and, and, the reverberations that will be felt for the characters and the revelation itself. But it's almost like a mourning to the, the idea of the mystery itself. Yeah. 
like this this phase of the show is over. This question that has been driving us all is done. Yeah. Because Lynch loves a mystery, you know, and it it can almost be read like he's mourning the end of the mystery itself. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. And it's just so, like, to think, like, what kind of different world would we be in right now if we didn't know the answer to who killed Laura Palmer? Um, you know, and it's like, if you think about it, it's like, yes, like, that makes total sense that we would never know who did it um, or why they did it or what have you. And, you know, it's just the idea in an abstract sense of this homecoming queen who was completely this different person underneath everything else turns up dead one day and nobody knows what to do and the chaos of it, you know, and it kind of like, you know, it harkens to the Black Lodge as this place of evil and chaos. It's like, it's just, it's total chaos not knowing why she died, how she died, the complete mm-hmm. circumstances of her death. Yeah. So. Totally. Totally. But it's just, yeah. And then there's just like, you know, and oh, and I, and I love that, like, in the build up to the end of that, you know, that final sequence, the end of that episode, Lind, like, there's like, there's different clues throughout that, like, the whole town is going to feel this and the whole town is going to know that it's going to happen. Like, you see a couple characters and their hands are shaking. Yeah. For no reason. And it's like, there's this deep sort of feel like a wave crashes on the whole town. Like yeah. it happened when Laura died and it's going to happen to them again. Yeah. And it's like, even to like Dale, when he's like, you know, at the, the nightclub and he's there and he's kind of wary and kind of doesn't seem comfortable. And Bobby's at the bar and he's kind of like looking around a little bit, like wide eyed, mm-hmm. like something's not quite right. Um, and Bobby ends up crying. I think again, at the yeah. end of that scene, if I'm, not mistaken. Yeah. Or James. Somebody. But, um, uh, I think it's James. I'm pretty sure it's James. Okay, yeah. James makes more sense. I think Bobby only cries in the scene in the diner and then one of the very last scenes with his family. Um, but yeah, great, great moment. And then in the next episode, it's like, it's like, how do they do it? Because like, It's almost like you're watching a silent movie in the next episode because there's just these long bits of like Leland carting Maddie's body around. Yeah. And like, you know, trying to hide it and stuff or whatever. And he almost gets caught, but then he doesn't. And then he finds out that Ben Horn has been arrested. And it looks like he's crying, but in actuality, he's laughing. Yeah. Because Bob's there, or he knows he's gotten away with it, and, and um, so weird, but it works. And, yeah. then, and then you have the following episode, Arbitrary Law, where Leland is finally trapped and exposed, and, and Bob he, can, oh, that confesses scene. to the murder. Yeah, where that scene where Bob's speaking through Leland and Dale's like, does Leland know what you've done? And he's done. like, he will know, and all. It's just so freaky. It's so freaky. And and we get that confession, and, the, and there's just this really cruel moment where Bob disposes of Leland. He has no further use for him. And he leaves. And, um, you know, that leads to Leland's suicide. 
Yeah, over the guilt of having to face what he's done. When he's like laying on the floor and he's like, I did it, I did it. Yeah. yeah. But then it's, and then we get this like weirdly beautiful moment where Coop is like, it's literally like walk into the light kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where he says the line about like, your soul has, has, has set you face to face with the clear light or whatever. And he gives that whole speech and, it, it should have been awful because of how cheesy it was, yeah. but the act, the acting with Kyle MacLachlan and Ray Wise just really, really makes it work. And you get some uh, of that in Fire Walk with me too, with Laura, where it's like yeah. now the nightmare is over and that sort of thing. Totally, totally, and um, and and so yeah, so that's really good. Leland's death scene is really good. But another thing I think is really great is that the scene sort of immediately after that closes the episode where you have Hawk and Coop and Albert, Andy, and then they have the conversation about what does Bob mean? Yeah. You know, like, was Leland responsible for the things that he did? And they also, because when Leland dies too, they're like, well, we have no proof that Bob ever existed. Like, we don't know if he was just crazy or not, or if it was true. Yes. And then you get that great Albert quote where he says, I think that Bob is the evil that men do. Yeah. And some people have critiqued that as being too simple of an explanation over the years. Um... Yeah, because so it's, it's, it's surprisingly it's surprisingly straightforward for things that Lynch normally does. Like to say, like you know, very easily anyone could look at it and say, yes, Bob is a metaphor for evil itself, for a very specific set of of evil actions in this case, and that sort of thing. But it it also just it weirdly works in the entire mythology like if you take everything that goes with the lodge and and the white lodge and the other spirits who who oppose bob and that sort of thing it weirdly works as like bob is kind of just this also because you know good and evil is like a thing with lynch you know this idea of oh yeah of the battle between them or the duality of them and it's like you've got this character of bob who's this like mess of like an idea that weirdly weirdly works and it's like you know and if you take it in in context with the things you see in fire walk with me i think yes like it 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 does in a way despite how simple it seems you know saying that line works and i'm willing to accept it is that yes bob is is the impulse is is the thing that you do when you don't mean to and kind of like all the id the dark id impulses that you have in your brain that that come out you know and i think in a way oh, totally totally um if you take it that way then leland isn't absolved because it's like to say that implicates leland yeah. as well because some part of him was thinking the same things some part of him right. was desiring the same things and bob just had him act on it um, yeah, I totally agree because like that's the big question that that comes from this scene, right? It's basically the question: uh, Leland is responsible or is he not, or is he both? Mm-hmm. You know, because when we really get into Leland, he is a complex character, mm-hmm. and there are, there are dark, disturbing, damaged parts to him, um, and. You know, 
does that make him vulnerable to Bob, this sort of creature who feeds on pain and despair? It's interesting that you say yeah. it that way because I think about this quote from Wicked uh, in the scene where Glinda and Elphaba are talking about the nature of evil and Elphaba kind of postulates mm-hmm. this question where she's like, okay, if you think about evil as this pocket of like energy in the universe, is it your fault for walking through it in the first place? Um Mm. which is an interesting concept as well because it's like okay bob you know he latched onto leland as a child is leland at fault is that just who he is from the beginning is it his fault for the way bob manipulated him as an entire being because he's been with him since the beginning um beginning you know can you really distinguish bob from leland if that's the case um and that sort of thing I completely agree. And it's perfect and it's great because Lynch offers up the psychological and the psychosexual explanation. And he offers up the supernatural. Yeah. And he, you have to decide if it's one. You have to decide if it's the other. You have to decide if it's both. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I feel like we're on the same page. Bob is a factor, but mm-hmm. I think Leland is also culpable. Yeah. And I think that comes up in all his weird behaviors when she dies is that some part of him knows Mm -hmm. or some part of him was just too overly obsessed, overly attached to his daughter. You know, no matter how you slice it, his behavior during the funeral and the first few days after her death definitely indicates that he is in some way responsible for for what happened to her. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. something in his brain is just overly attached to this girl um, in a way that you know, while not necessarily evil the way Bob is, it's just it, it, it catalyzes a situation where something like Bob exists. Yeah. And it gets into so much about, like, you know, in that and the revelation and, and Bob and his connection to Leland and, you know, and this question of, like, the cycle of abuse, right, as we mm-hmm. would term it yeah. now. Um, because it's it's never explicitly stated in the show, but it's heavily implied that um, Leland, you know, was sexually abused by Bob as a child. Yeah. We know he encountered Bob as a child, and that's when the possession happened. You know, he was a Leland was a boy vacationing at a lake house, and Bob lived in a, a an apartment above a convenience store, and it's more or less hinted that, you know, that Leland was sexually abused by Bob and that's sort of what opened the gates for the possession. And then of course we know what happens. Leland grows up and sexually abuses another child. And, and it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can look at it that way too. It's like, you know, Bob represents obviously the cycle of abuse, both literally metaphorically, very simplistically and a lot more complicated as well. You know, it's interesting because with Lynch, you get these layers where it's like, it's both incredibly simple and like, and nowhere near simple, crazy complex the way at the same time at the way it's, it, it functions. So it's, it's impossible to say that, that anything is too simple or too complex or, or what have you. Right. Well, and even, and even in this moment, right? Like the question is technically answered, right? We find out who killed Laura Palmer, but the mystery is sort of recast 
yeah. you know, because now we're like, who is Bob? What is Bob? Where is he? What's going to happen next? What is this connection? What is the supernatural angle? Mm-hmm. And and that was really compelling because remember, the supernatural, like genre stuff was not done on broadcast television at this time. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, oh, we have this idea for a detective show. Okay, what magic powers do they have? Like, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And, then, you know, and then, so then after the, the, the solution of the murder is when a lot of people say that the show gets really wonky. And this sort of like, the idea of Twin Peaks as being like a weird version of Mayberry goes like ham. Because in the middle part of the season is when you get like, you know, the Milford brothers and like the weird feud that they've got going on. You've got Ben Horn doing his like bizarre reenactment of the Civil War. Yeah. Where like the South wins. Um... The whole side plot with Lucy being pregnant. Yeah. And um, is it Andy's? Is it Dick Tremaine? And you kind of like, you kind of watch it and you're like, okay, what's the joke here? Okay, because there's so much of Andy. comedy going on, but you're like after the revelation, but you're like, what? No, it was like directionless for a little bit there. Speaking of Andy, though, one yeah. of my favorite things in the pilot is when Andy calls to say that they found like where she was murdered, and he's like, "Don't tell the sheriff that I cried." Oh, I know. Was, I like, love Andy. He's on the phone. Um, but I love Lucy, and I don't. I don't necessarily mind the whole bit, like with with Dick Tremaine and like the little Nikki storyline yeah. and all the weirdness that happens there i just don't know what they were going for with it yeah well they did because that's at the point where lynch was starting to like depart from the show as well yeah he was mad about the forced yeah. uh revelation and and stuff or whatever so, and that's also like when you get some sort of interesting things that like that's when you have like lumberjack dale lumberjack um, dale because you know, oh, he's he, you know, he loves the town, and there's this like weird thing where he's under investigation for yeah, working outside like, law. He gets like framed for drugs in the or One-Eyed something. Jack story, so he has to stay in town. And then because of that, we get um, David Duchovny coming in as um, Denise, Denise Bryson, which and, is um, a very interesting thing to see how that's going to be received because she is back. Um, she's back and we have very different um, ideals and precedents for how trans characters are played in entertainment media so that should be interesting if not incredibly aggravating on all fronts to see how people react, how people don't react who says what we will definitely (laughs) see we will definitely see um, cause that, you know, and David Duchovny gave a great performance. Mm-hmm. It was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's obviously lots of questions of, you know, why was it funny and how was it played and stuff or whatever. And, and that was a, that was like a big thing in the middle of season two. Cause I know that like Kyle McLaughlin wanted to sort of play different shades of Dale Cooper mm-hmm. after the, the, the murder. Um, that's kind of why they like let him sort of be lumberjack Dale and, 
Um, even if they knew it wasn't right, like you get that scene sort of t- near the end where Dale like touches the suit in his closet. Like, I feel like that was at the show yeah. was nodding. Like, okay, we need to get him back into, Dale into who he was yeah. stuff or whatever. And, and in the middle of the middle of season two is just weird. You get all that bullshit with James and his cougar romance and which, and like all that weird. And it's funny. Cause again, I was talking to the friend from work who, you know, Saturday we're going um, to the movies is like, he was like, basically, cause I was saying like, Oh, I want to try and like binge it again before like um, the thing. I don't know if I'm going to have time though, because it's an undertaking surprisingly for only a season and a half. It's an undertaking. Oh no. Um, but it's like, he was basically like, yeah, like you can basically watch the first season and then skip to like the last five episodes of season two and like <laughs> get the gist you're supposed to get. And I was like, yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, you know, cause it's like, it's interesting when they bring in that stuff. Cause it's like, okay, Cooper's past the mistakes he made, um, yeah, with his uh, previous relationships, it comes up, but it's also like super duper complicated. And it's this weird elaborate game of like literal chess that's going on. It is. Cause they like, they tease and they build up to the arrival of Wyndham Earl and, and, and the pageant and stuff or whatever. And, and he does that. Yeah, and you're like, okay, okay, how's it gonna play out? This is weird. Like, you can tell, like, when Lynch leaves, like, it's very obvious when he doesn't direct or when he's not involved and and stuff or whatever. Not that I don't care, because it's like, it's interesting when you hear that that he had an affair with a married woman, because you're like, oh, that seems weirdly out of character, or that seems like weirdly there's parts of you I don't know. But the whole, it feels like it's just building up to the point where they want to get to the Black Lodge because that's where they knew they wanted to end things. And right. it's like, I don't give a shit about Wyndham Earl or his wife, to be honest. And like, yeah, and you're like, unless it, like I, like, I need it to tie in and eventually it does, but at first you don't know and all this... There's just so much weird, like, Shelly quits the diner. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Bobby's, like working for the horns no one is going to school anymore literally the entire population has dropped yeah except for nadine with the whole amnesia storyline yes and like her super strength (laughs) so she's the only one in school for whatever reason um and then like you get to those last couple episodes and like billy zane leaves he like literally flies off because of that whatever his weird story was with audrey and and shelly goes back to work with norma and and um Gordon Cole literally like comes to town and tells Cooper to suit up again, like cut the bullshit. And, and then we get to the end of the season, the end of the show with um, the Miss Twin Peaks pageant, <laughs> which is, you know, How have there not been more of those over the years. Like, I feel like people like have been having, like had to have been having Miss Twin Peaks pageants. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's, um, I don't know. What did you think about the pageant? Like, I, okay, first of all, I feel like pageants are such a cliche that is thrown into (laughs) stories. That being said, I'm sure that's the point in this case when it comes to David Lynch, where it's like, okay, we're at this point, time to have the pageant that shows always usually seem to have. There's always a beauty pageant at some point. Like, fucking full house you have it to get Jesse and what's-her-face together. Like, it's like a weird thing where you have a pageant. Um, I, yeah, but no, I agree with you. Like, I feel like this was a sort of, this was like a meta 
commentary sort of thing. Yeah, it was like definitely like about, a play on the fact, like David Lynch and whoever didn't put it in there not knowing that everyone does it. Like they knew right. like the, the cliche context of it. And they're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, well, and it gives them this platform, literally. Yes. To, to talk about like women in the show and women in general and like objectification and demeaning and it, I think it was like the show being self-aware yeah. that everything that's happened is fueled by this almost like near ritualistic violence against women right yeah yeah no yeah like it's almost as if like in the pageant and the storyline of the pageant the show is sort of looking for its next Laura Palmer yeah. like who is the next sacrifice yeah. You know, and, and even that kind of comes up with the Wyndham Earl thing, like with, with the queens, right? Is it yeah. Donna? Is it Audrey? Is it Shelley? And then we sort of get the drama twist thing or whatever that it's, it's, it's Annie. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I love. Um, it's like the second or the third to last episode where it starts with the close up of the pamphlet for the pageant and there's ketchup on it. Yeah, and um, it pulls out, and we see, and we see Annie, and she cleans it up and stuff or whatever, yeah. and sort of like voting sense of, of what's going to happen to her. Um, and I love the moment in the pageant where all the contestants come out for like the routine, and they're wearing like the rain jackets. Yeah, I love that reference to being wrapped in plastic again. Wrapped in plastic, yeah. It is happening again. Like the the cycle repeating, like no matter what it is, is definitely like a theme in this show. Like when you get it with Laura and Maddie and now we're looking for our next Laura and like yeah. the things you find out about like this fucking space time situation in Fire Walk with me. <laughs> Yo. No, yeah. And then like and now the, we're here. The, right? the future's past. Like that's what it is. Like that's the, the idea. Is this yeah. future? Is this past? Yeah, you know, and, which, like, that's which, the poem right there is, is, like, time, for whatever reason, is cyclical, but also happening at the same time, and, like, the future and the past are happening together, and they're interacting with each other, and it's all this weird shit, and you, like... Right. You need several drinks afterwards. God, you do. And then, so that... And then, and so now we're at the finale, you know, which was what was the final episode, um, Beyond Life and Death. And all of the craziness that that happened in that episode. Um, if you're if you're excited for the revival, but you don't have time to binge, do this episode because it's likely going to have the most connections to the revival. I've heard that this and Fire Walk with Me are like the most important yeah. things to watch before um, the revival. Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy episode. It's totally genius, but it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and there's all these questions, and, and it's like, what is the red room? Is it in the black lodge? Is it the waiting room? Is it the ante room? Is it between the lodges? Um, yeah, what is going yeah. on there? Well, because even the entrance to get into the red room or into the black lodge. Because it's like, okay, so the idea is like, this is how you get into the black lodge, but you go to the red room first for whatever reason. Right. And like a couple characters postulate that it's a waiting area before you actually get into the black lodge. Before you go in. Like after you've passed through Glastonbury Grove, 
Which is that a great moment when Cooper and it just you know appears. is in the grove and the curtains and you get that like dark moody ballad and he goes like past the sycamores and that's great and stuff or whatever. Yeah, and it's like you're like, what the fuck is happening here? But like, the more you rewatch it, you understand the sort of like bizarre logic that's happening yeah. in the red room and stuff or whatever. And this is when we finally get that moment where the man from another place gives us what I think is like the closest that's ever going to pass for like an explanation mm-hmm. of certain things that have happened. We find out that the giant and the waiter are one and the same. Um, he tells Cooper that he has friends in this world yeah. including Laura that is when she comes out and gives us the famous I will see you again in 25 years so like I feel like this totally sets up Laura as kind of a Beatrice character mm-hmm. like if you take oh, yeah. yeah like if you take the red room and take the black logic kind of like that sort of mentality um, I feel like Laura and what you find out in Fire Walk with me and stuff and her position in the Black Lodge is, you know, if it's helpful, if it's true what they say that she is a friend to Dale Cooper in the Black Lodge, that she's kind of like his Beatrice character, like this guide that he's following, this thing he's trying to get to, this person who who is trying to send him help, but it always seems kind of unreachable. Because it's like, mm-hmm. we see Laura, he interacts with her kind of, like, in this way, but it right. always seems like this isn't quite her. This is something wearing her face and that sort of thing. Very interesting. And it is, and I also think it's interesting that this image of Laura has so much staying power for the yeah. fans of the show. And I don't know if it was just because it's the last image we ever get of Laura, but I just thought it's, it's kind of impressive because we've seen so much of her up until this point. And we've learned so much about her um, through flashbacks and, and memories and stuff like that or whatever. But this image of her in the final scene in the Red Room, I feel like is what has taken away so much from yeah, the show. Because people always, so always put up the thing of her doing like the hand symbols and then her saying like, meanwhile, and then the doppelganger right. doing her right, freaky yeah, version you of get that. that. Because it, it's all weird up until that point, right? And and then you get Laura saying, meanwhile, and she does the pose. And then, like, there's this crack of, like, thunder almost and some lightning. And the man says, wow, Bob, wow. And then that lets us know same. that, like, <laughs> same, that, like, sinister things live here as well. Yeah. You know, like, yes, okay, we're, t- okay, he tells Coop that you have friends here, but it's not just friends. There are enemies to do. Yeah, and um, then Cooper gets that coffee from the waiter, and he can't drink it because it's like morphing back and forth between liquid and solid, and it's like, is this supposed to represent time? Is this yeah. supposed to represent like just like what the fuck is happening there? Yeah, which is literally his face when he's just like, I yeah, I don't. What do you, I, I don't, don't? What what do <laughs> what do? And then he starts going back and forth between. The two different rooms, he's passing through that, like, the Chevron hallway, and the rooms are changing, mm-hmm. and then he meets the doppelgangers. When you see the doppelganger, though, when he first walks up, and there's that extreme close-up of his face and stuff, and you're like, okay, something's not right about this. Something's not right. And it's freaky. I mean, 
when uh, the, the, the Laura doppelganger screams. When, yeah, and she's like, and you're just like, fuck, stop it. That's and she does it multiple bit. times. No, the idea of got doppelgangers have always freaked me out. Like, when I first, like, as a young child, like, was like, what is? And, like, looked it up. And it's like the idea that it's like, okay, it's a double you. And it's another version of you. And in some cultures, it's the evil version or the opposite version. And in some cultures, seeing your doppelganger is a sign that, that, that you'll die. You're die soon and that sort of thing. So, like, just the idea of doppelgangers have always freaked me out. So the fact that so that is, like, a prominent part of the end of this show and, like, the mythology of the Black Lodge is horrifying to me, especially since it seems at this point that the the double of Dale Cooper is the one that has been running around for 25 mm-hmm. years while the good right? Dale, as Annie says... Is trapped in the lodge. Is trapped. Is trapped. Well, right, yeah. And then, like, so there's that horrible moment after he sees Laura and the man from another place as doppelgangers. He goes into that that sort of final room and he sees himself and he's been stabbed. Yeah. And he sees Annie lying on the floor. And at first he thinks it's Wyndham Earl's wife. Yeah. And then there's like that all that that weirdness. He sees Laura, he sees Annie, he sees the wife, and then all of and then they sort of morph and it's Wyndham Earl. Yeah. And he offers the deal, like, I'll let Annie go if you give me your soul. Cooper says yes. Earl stabs him, and then we get that crazy, like, moment where Bob intervenes. Yeah. And reverses time. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you're a, you know, he calls Wyndham Earl, he's like, you're a pretender, you don't do this, I do this. You know, this is... I caused this violence. He's like, I'll take his. I will take his. And he he murders Wyndham Earl, essentially. He takes his soul and he, like, yells at Cooper to flee. Yeah. And um, Cooper's like, yup. <laughs> and Cooper's like, yup. And, and he tries his best. And there's this, like, really, like, nerve-wracking, disorienting thing. And he's running. And all of a sudden we find out he's being chased by his own doppelganger. Yeah. Which, again, and, me, horrifying. Incredibly yep. scary. Horrifying. He's in the one hallway and he runs into Leland. Leland says, I didn't kill my daughter. What, what, how do we take that? You yeah. know, that conversation we had, how culpable was Leland? What does that mean? You know, and then there's the, the, that weird moment where like the Cooper doppelganger and Leland like laugh with each other and it's totally creepy. And, yeah. and then, which is totally, like, totally fitting, where it's, like, these two entities possessed by... Because mm-hmm. that's, like, that's like Bob's thing. It's, like, the crazy laughter. The crazy laugh, right. And then we see the dark Cooper tackle our Coop. And next that we know, we see Cooper and Annie, you know, like, being expelled, basically, from from the Red Room, from the Lodge, if they were there. They're back in Glastonbury Grove. Grove, I'm sorry. And then, of course, in the final scene, we, we find out the truth yeah, we uh, of what has happened. Yeah. He goes that, into the, the bathroom and slams his head against the mirror, and when he looks up, the reflection is Bob, and he's just repeating, how's Annie? How's Annie? And how's Annie? How's Annie? I love that the whole show ends with a question. Yeah. Just how yeah. it started. How's Annie? You know, we started with who killed Laura Palmer and we end with how's Annie. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, it's at the, it's answers without answers, right? Like, it's yeah. really beautiful, but it's also totally brutal to watch. Especially for 25 years. Especially for 25 years. A portion of it had no internet, so that was, you know, good for everyone, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Freaky. And then along comes Fire Walk With Me, which was not well-received when it um, was initially no. released. People did no, not like it. Was it. Not. They did um, not. It's the most controversial aspect of Twin Peaks, for sure. Yeah. Um, but basically, this is a feature film um, that details the last seven days of Laura's life, um, but also not quite that, because uh, as you get into <laughs> these, these sequences with the Black Lodge, you, you start to realize that past and future and present tense and what have you doesn't really apply here because I think I think a big reason of why the movie was so poorly received is because the show ended on so many different cliffhangers and they wanted answers and we didn't really get any no this if anything confused things more because it's like it told us a lot of stuff we already knew it showed us cocaine laura and prostitute laura and like the situation with bob slash leland and Teresa and how she was killed and all these other things it just sort of fleshed it out more. it fleshed it out and then you get to the red room um where it's like okay now things are kind of weird because it's like Things are taking place there, like Cooper's there and Annie's there. Things that happened at the end of the show, but Laura's there and she's learning about the future before she even dies. And she's being told to put it in her journal, even though she's not dead yet. And like all these crazy things, um, which is, you know, insane because it's like. And, you know, it's interesting because everyone, I feel like, always does the kind of, like, future thing where they're like, oh, like, you go, you know, the past affects the future. And if, like, one, you know, like, self-fulfilling prophecy and this sort of thing. This is completely right. fucked up. There is no way to gauge what is meant to be the present tense in this situation. Um, it's insane. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, it is. It, uh, it's insane. It's insane. You leave you leave the film like you know it, you know you watch it and you know that like some part of you understood what happened. But that part is not your head. Like it's not your brain. Yeah. You yeah. know, like your gut, your heart, I don't know. It's just It's weird to conceptualize because it's like instinctively you know what's going on. You understand these things. You understand why Bob ends up killing Laura, why he couldn't possess her, what the significance of the ring is, like what it represents and like those sort right. of things like you understand instinctively in a way that says, okay, that makes sense. I get it. Like, I understand it. I'm willing to follow that. But if somebody said to me, explain it, it's like like I can't like you, you just you get you just get it or you don't get it's it. It's just and it's so it's totaling these weird parts and like <sighs> So like it, it's like it opens and like you're really close on this TV thing and there's all this static and then all of a sudden like an axe smashes into it and you're like what the fuck okay, you know or whatever and then later you you understand that like that was Leland when he killed Teresa Banks and it's 
I always feel like it's, it was always sort of Lynch's thing to be like, okay, the show is dead. I'm literally smashing a TV. This isn't television anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're going to see what's up and stuff or whatever. Yeah. Because we start, with, we start with a body wrapped in plastic floating down a river. We think it's Laura, but it's actually Teresa Banks. Yeah. Who is mentioned in the show. Oh, we see for a brief second her body yeah. in plastic on the river. Yeah, and then that sets into motion this whole thing, you know, where where we see Gordon Cole and he's meeting with Chester Desmond, this FBI agent who was played by Chris Isaac, and this weird thing where like he's arresting these prostitutes in front of a school bus and and and, and then he meets up with Kiefer Sutherland's character to investigate um, the Teresa Banks murder. And there's this weird thing where Lil gives them a coded message through her mm-hmm. dancing. And um, it, there's like, this, there's parts of it where it's like, you feel like the movie is David Lynch trying to do David Lynch. <laughs> and you're like, what? Um, but... So, like, the first third of the movie, right, is, is Desmond, the Desmond character, um, going through the Banks case and stuff or whatever and dealing with with all of the things that, that happened there. And there's all these really weird parallels between Deer Meadow, where Teresa Bank, mm-hmm. Banks lived and was killed, and Twin Peaks. And, like, the letter under the finger, and they take a trip to a diner. And, like, it's all really familiar, but it's somehow wrong. Like, it's off. Yeah. Everything there is, like, really melancholy and gritty and unkind versus Twin Peaks where it's sort of, like, idyllic. Well, it's like the shadow self of yourself that they say you encounter in the Black Lodge. Right. And that sort of climaxes when he goes to the trailer park where Teresa lived, mm-hmm. which is, is all decayed and uninhabited. And it's like this, like the total antithesis to the beautiful suburbia of Twin Peaks where Laura grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's where we get the mythology of the green ring that belonged to Teresa that has the same symbol from the owl cave that Coop finds in yeah, season two. Everyone gets tattooed now. Right. And, and he finds it on this small mound of dirt under the trailer and, and he tries to reach for it and then it just freezes. Mm. And it totally fades to black and we never find out how the Desmond story ends. And this is very abrupt ending and it's like, is that supposed to be like because the show abruptly ended or what does this mean? Yeah. And, and you're having this weird thing where you finally accept that the detective that you're watching is not Dale and yeah. then... As soon as you accept that, it's over. Yeah. And, and you're moving on to this next section. And it, it's, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre, the opening sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, and it's... I, get, I mean, I guess because it's like the, the symbol, it's like people have taken it to be the symbol of the two lodges. Like, it's two peaks, it's right. twin peaks, and the two lodges, and then it's like, if you take that, maybe that's the red room in between, because a lot of people have postulated that the red room, rather than be a waiting room for the Black Lodge, is the place Straddles. where the lodges meet, and that sort of thing. And that's why the benevolent and the malicious spirits are allowed to, that's where they can interact. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. 
Yeah. Yeah, but then basically after this, it goes into Laura's story. Um, I mean, you find out some things I guess you didn't totally know, but like you knew. Um, like just the details yeah, of I mean, her you shit. Just, you just sort of see her life, you know, like everything we knew happened to her in the show, you know, like Bobby, James, going to visit Harold. Yeah. The cocaine, the dreams, her <laughs> cocaine, the nightlife. We nighttime, know nighttime. We know she's afraid of Bob. We know he's been raping her since she was a child. We see her discover that it's her father. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a dream about going to the Black Lodge where she sees the man from the other place and Cooper. Yeah. And she has that dream where Annie's shot again and laying in bed with yeah. her and tells her. She wakes up and Annie tells her. You know, the good yeah, Dale, the good Dale. Is- is trapped in the lodge. You can't leave. Write it in your diary. Mm-hmm. Which is like we, one of my uh, favorite things in the original was like how long it took them to be like, oh man, we don't have a key for the diary. What are we gonna do? And like, right? <laughs> God, and then, like they're still respecting her for privacy. And then Coop's yeah. just like, Psh. anyway, uh, yeah, on October thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, he's like, so let's do this shit. Um. Yeah, the yeah the dreams. Well, and then and that's how she gets the ring. And then what you know yeah. the dream. The man offers her the ring, and Dale and the dream says to her, "Don't take the ring, Laura." Um, and he's like looking at the camera when he says that. There's this weird thing where it's like we are Laura in the dream, yeah. and and um and the ring protects her from Bob at the end, and he freaks out and he kills her because of it. Right. Yeah. And you get that whole. That whole moment where we sort of we follow Leland for a little bit because it keeps we keep like shifting the focus of the characters, which is very frustrating. Yeah, sort of like I don't know, I'm, I guess a mirror of like all the chaos that's going on with the characters. It's a and, weirdly disjointed movie. Yeah, it is, and I think he knew what he was doing. I think it's just it's it's a hard movie, and yeah. You have to know what you're getting into, like, and you can't go in expecting. Like, that's the thing is I think people were like, oh, like, great answers, and, like, the opposite happened. Right. Yeah. Um, It just just sort of gives you new questions. I mean, you have Dale investigating a little bit of the the Banks murder. Um, There's this weird David Bowie cameo. Yes. He was supposed to be in the new series before disaster struck that seemed to happen to a lot of people who were supposed to be in i know uh, right? the log lady did film some scenes before uh her passing as well oh cast colson yeah and obviously the actor who played bob died uh, a few yeah. years ago frank silva so yeah so so, but it's, I like the movie. I do. I think there's good, good things in yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I mean, think, if nothing you know, else, like, it's just so heartbreaking to see Laura's shit. Um, yeah. And when she actually dies, I mean, it's like, this girl's been through some see, fucking shit. You see the whole murder play out, you know, and that terrifying thing where it sort of, like, flashes back. It's Leland, and then it's Bob. It's Leland, it's Bob, and, and Mike is trying to get there to stop the murder. And Yeah throws the ring into the train car and 
she puts it on, and ugh, it's just very, yeah. very heart wrenching. Yeah, you know, the nightmare is over, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, because we, you know, the so the movie ends where we're in the lodge with Laura and Cooper. And this, this angel appears, this angel who had disappeared in, in a painting in Laura's bedroom earlier in the movie. She she was, you know, abandoned. She wasn't protected anymore. And there's this shining bright light as Cooper has his his hand on Laura's shoulder and she she starts to laugh and, and cry at the same time and and that's how we leave them and yeah. It's beautiful and it's sad and like you know, like all things, you're not sure how to interpret it. Like, is, is she finally moving into the White Lodge? Is is the pain over finally? We don't since know. we can't tell what time period anything fucking takes place in, as far as the lodges are concerned. But um, it's interesting because I feel like that reinforces the idea that it's like okay, you know, Cooper is our main character. He's the person we're following. Laura is a context in this thing. It's, you know, she's not the main character. She's not the focus. If not for um, Fire Walk With Me, would never really even see her in, like, the present tense and that sort of thing. So it's like, I think it reinforces this idea, especially that ending there where she kind of has her absolution moment, where she is this kind of Beatrice character, where she is this guide through the underworld or the other world or whatever you want to call it um, that is the lodges. Um, You know, I think, you know, that's kind of how I've seen her, you know, looking at these things is that she's kind of this entity of, you know, some kind of protection, some kind of purity in a way, which is interesting considering, you know, how she lived her life up until her death. But it's like you get that scene with the angel at the end uh, and Cooper in the lodge. So, yeah, I agree. So excited. It's a very interesting movie. It's it's um it's dark. It's yeah. It's usually dead times described as a horror film. Yeah, I would definitely call it a horror film. Um, but it's it's interesting to see to see sort of the echoes and the parallels between the Banks murder and, and Deer Meadow and what's going to happen in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, and uh, like when that section ends and Cooper's talking to Diane and he says he has this sinking feeling that it, this is going to happen again somewhere. And um, we, you know, we get to follow Leland a bit more as we see him cover up the bank's murder and, yeah. and um, sort of like remystifies the Bob thing. Yeah. Which is good because I feel like if anything, the Teresa Banks thing, like without this movie kind of comes across as a red herring in the original series because it's like it happens it's this thing they're kind of focusing on as their analog and then it just kind of goes away as you start to realize like the complexities of the Laura Palmer murder but here it like ties it into like a string of events like it's not just oh that happened and we were referencing it to try and throw you off it's like the whole it is happening again like it happened with Teresa Banks it happened with Laura Palmer it happened with Maddie it maybe happened with Annie if we're setting Annie up as kind of that same female figure who who is victimized in the situation. Totally. Um, 
you know, and like they've they're using that tagline for Twin Peaks, the you know the return as they're billing it as they mm -hmm. use the tagline. It is happening again. Thing so again. it's like, okay, who's who is who it? is it now? Um, yeah, and 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 what's going to be involved in that? You know, like Lynch has talked a lot about how um, his work is as often a response to what he feels is going on in America. You know, in the early '90s, child abuse was a very hot topic. Yeah. Um, so these disturbing themes in Twin Peaks of incest and and, and sexual abuse um, was was his response to that? Was his conversation about that? So it'll be interesting to see how that manifests in the. Uh, the revival and um and maybe we still have to talk about those questions because the movie asked them again you know is bob psychological or is he supernatural was he yeah. something invented by leland to cope was he something invented by laura to cope or is he just is it's it, it's so you interesting know? because even mike refers to him as like his familiar and it's like what the fuck does that mean because as you know what does that mean like, yeah you know, what is that? You know, like, is, you know, Bob the manifestation of the evil that men do? Is Bob the reason that men do evil? Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. As for, like, theories and shit and what we know, what we think we know, I mean, we know nothing. Um, right. Much but, like it's John good, you know, but it's a good way, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's that being enthralled and tantalized and sort of confused by your entertainment, not like... Yeah. Should I be getting this? Because I don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they've shown, like, the, the, the trailers are, like, super, like, I don't know who these some of these people are. Like, I don't know what's happening. And, you know, obviously you recognize some faces where you're like, oh, crap, it's you. Um, and that sort of thing is, is going on, and it's great. Um, and, you know, rumor has that the only person who has seen the entirety of the script is Kyle McLaughlin. Everyone else supposedly only got scripts as they pertain to their character. Um, so no one, no one really knows what's going on either. Um, it was a very, very secret production from what I hear. Yeah, yeah on, it, it's interesting because they were comparing it to Star Wars where they're like, it's actually more tight lips than the new Star Wars movie, like, if you can imagine it. Um, so, Which is pretty crazy to think about. And, I mean, read any interview you can find out there. Lynch says nothing. The, yeah. the, the cast says nothing. I mean, uh, they, they released the episode descriptions. Did you see that? No. For the first eight episodes. It's just, they're just, like, a couple word, like, nonsense things. It's hilarious it's total it's total like that's the thing is, is like even though we're all assuming this is the case they haven't even really confirmed that it's 25 years later it's just what we all assumed was happening because everyone's like, yeah oh. that's the most likely <laughs> but who the fuck knows it yeah. was i mean it's uh oh yeah okay yeah so i hear this is the description for our episode the the premiere My log has a message for you. The stars turn and a time presents itself. Cool. So if you think you know what the fuck that means, more power to you. <laughs> someday my log will have something to say about this. Maybe someday is Sunday. <laughs> Maybe it's Sunday. 
So, gosh, we have talked for 800 years. This is the longest of the longest going. Probably going to be about, with our conclusion here, two and a half hours. Oh, wow. uh, Of Twin Peaks discussion. It's like Um, almost as long as Firewalk with me. Yeah, so instead of watching Firewalk with me, you just listen to this. You just listen to us. The the original cut of Firewalk with me was like five hours. So, be grateful. Be grateful. Um, But yes, Twin Peaks. It is happening again. We're all going back. Everyone just be cool about it. Um, Be cool. And it's going to be a great ride. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's total moment in television, total moment in pop culture history. Like, have fun with it, for sure. Like, now that Twin Peaks exists in real time in a world where internet and Reddit and theories and instant social media happens, like, it's going to be a shit show, and it's going to be so fun. Oh, my God. The the Reddit is going to... Oh, my God. It's going to be insane. Yeah. So, it's going to be a fun ride. Imagine the hashtags trending on Twitter. Imagine them. Get excited. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy excited. Twin Peaks is, without a doubt, my favorite television show. I, I didn't think this was ever going to happen. I, like most Peaks fans, I kind of just made my peace with the 30 episodes we had and the movie. And so, this is, you know... Has the double been running around murdering people? Has he been living yeah, right? as Dale Cooper as Leland was living as Leland with only occasionally manifesting? Was Leland a doppelganger then? Right. Maybe that's why he said he didn't kill his daughter. Maybe right. it was the double. Maybe the real Leland the was double. also trapped trapped in the lodge. Right. Is you know, is the doppel also, Bob, are those two separate entities? Is Bob in the doppel? Is, is it just Bob? Like, you know? What are, what are the owls if they are not what they seem? Lots of questions. What, I mean, and, and also, like, questions that don't relate to, to the main mythology. Um, if you read The Secret History of Twin Peaks, some of those questions were answered. Like, wh- who died in the bank explosion? Mm. And who survived? Oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple other, you know, some other cliffhangers that happened there and stuff or whatever and involving um, maybe non-mythology centric characters like the Martells and the Packards and yeah. uh, Norma and Big Ed and, and Bobby and Shelly and so. Yeah. Get hype, kids. Two-hour premiere Sunday. Get I'm going to be at work, but, like, don't think I'm not going to be trolling Twitter for information. Like, while <laughs> people are, like, ordering food from me, I'm like, shh, give me a shh. I will be firmly planted in front of my television. Yeah, I mean, I don't get Bravo anyway because I'm cheap like that. So, like, even if I wasn't working, it wouldn't really make that much of a difference. <laughs> the only good thing is, is, like, Monday when I get home from work, I can immediately go online and start watching because, yes. you know, with, like, popcorn and just throwing my popcorn. Oh, I know. I mean, I'm going to have a total spread. I haven't decided what yet. 
But um, oh, I wanted to send you something. This is totally unrelated to all of you listening. Oh, um, good. A bar near these people probably want to hear us talk about something else after two and a half hours. <laughs> well, it's Twin Peaks related. Um, oh, cafe, sorry, guys. <laughs> a cafe near me. I sent the pictures of it to you. This cafe near me did a uh, photo series of a local photographer who recreated like screenshots of like famous scenes in Twin Peaks. But oh. for the um, um, like unveiling of his like gallery or whatever in the cafe, they had special Twin Peaks themed drinks. They had the Dale Cooper and the Laura Palmer, and I screenshotted the recipes. <laughs> so if Amazing. you'd like me to send them to you, I can. Spoiler alert, the Dale Cooper involves uh, cold brew coffee. Because <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can add those to your spread. I will, I will 1 million percent add those to my spread. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the rest of you can just wonder what they are because I'm not sending them to you. The rest of you, yeah, the rest of you, your reward is not knowing. Your reward for listening to this is not knowing. In true Twin Peaks fashion, you will not know. You will never know what those drinks entail besides the fact that the Dale Cooper drink somehow involves coffee. Um, Exactly. Yes. So fucking exactly. Thank you guys so much if you have listened to this whole thing. Um, if, you know, if you're a Peaks fan, especially if you're not a Peaks fan, if you're like, <laughs> you know what, I'm just gonna kill. I've got a two and a half hour drive. You're like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's. Uh, that's uh, I'm cool. sure we'll have some kind of like. I don't. We I don't have the schedules to do like. Let's do recap it episodes but i'm sure during the course of this many a times we will feel the need to do um some discussion on it in some fashion i'll probably be throwing a re not maybe maybe not recap blog posts but like a little something my thoughts thoughts blog posts yeah um so be looking for that over on the blog which is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com um, if you <clears throat> listen to this whole thing, if you didn't, what have you, our email is splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Our Twitter is splatterchatter666 uh, minus the vowels. You can just search it and we pop up immediately. Our Tumblr is splatterchatter.tumblr.com. Um, and yeah, I will be battling my bed bugs. Um, <laughs> literally. It's okay. They're not what they They're seem. They are what they seem, which is fucking irritating. Um, I know. We want things that aren't what they seem. God. But yeah. That's all I got on the Twin Peaks front so far. That's all I got. We have got to shut this shit down. Oh my God. We've talked their ears off. <laughs> we've talked their ears off. But you know, our schedule's been crazy lately. So I yeah. feel like the longer episodes are making up for less episodes. Yes. Lack of... Um, multiple content is made up for longer content, so. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right, guys, we will say goodbye. Keep up the creep out there. And until, uh, next time, we will say au revoir, adios, and stop the dining room. See you in Twin Peaks.